Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, Fooners. Let's get my microphone. This is Halifax. This is December 88. Season 5. Everything is And the is an insult to a great house. Why should the faithful anyone else take the word of a squire over the heir to Highgarden? He has a birthmark, your grace. Quite high on his thigh. Wine-colored and roughly the shape of dawn. What are you doing? Let us pass. The faith is satisfied there is enough evidence to bring a formal trial. For Sir Loras and Queen Marjorie. What? Bearing false witness before the gods is as grave a sin as any, my lady. Take her. No! Tommen! Tommen! You can't do this. I am the queen! Tommen! Tommen! Keeping the torch lit through the long night, it's Game of Microphones. With Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, and Lady Rachel of House Fox. Good morrow, cock merchants and captive queens, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, master of the trickster god. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, battler of microphone grumpkins and computer snarks. <laughs> and this is episode 88. On this episode of our series rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones season 5, episode 6, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season 7. If not, there's still time to taste the sweet, steely kiss of Ario Hota's axe, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This is a good episode. We say that every episode, I though. I know. This show is just so good. It's just good. Oh, darn. Thank you for torturing us with excellence, HBO. Right. I'm never going to be able to watch anything again. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the spinoffs. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm hoping they green light more than one of them. I think they will. I, I think this is HBO makes way too much money on right. this whole thing to not try to like continue it as long as possible. Capitalize with numerous tentacles. Yeah. And there's so much to go off of. And I think the more that they go off, 
they'll they'll probably lose some audience, but they'll also gain some audience depending right, on depending on the style of the new show kind of on thing. the show. With eight thousand years of history to explore. Pretty much. But yeah, I mean I again we kind of go several places here. This is definitely a, a good episode for Arya. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we see a lot of her and Jorah and Tyrion are adventuring. Cersei is playing the games with Baelish. Machinating. I mean, there's a lot happening. We're we're right in the middle of this season, so this is the minutiae of this season is definitely being felt in this episode. Right. I mean, the Jamie got captured. Uh Queen mm-hmm. Marjorie was taken into custody. Like this is a huge episode. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So What do you got for number 5? Okay, um, my number five is Arya's first assignment to be the lo- uh, to be the god of death, basically. Nice, yeah. I had uh, I had Arya gets an assignment written down in one of my notes too. Nice. So this is where the man walks in with his daughter, and he's carrying his daughter, and the man says Valar Mugulis. <laughs> yeah. I can't say it now without laughing. Valar Morgulis. So, and Arya <laughs> responds, I'm just going to let you do it from now on. <laughs> I think people are going to laugh. Because I sound like a freak when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are going to think that was so funny. Oh my God. It was great. <laughs> he sounded like such a nerd. <laughs> and we just keep laughing and laughing for like a minute too. Because <laughs> it was so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he said Valor Mug. M- m- uh, Mugulis or something. Mugulis. I was Mugulis. like thinking on the like the line of uh, Val- Harry Potter apparently. Or Mugulis or <laughs> Harry Potter. I don't remember that. Like a Moogle, a Muggle or whatever. Oh, a Muggle. There's also the Moogles in Final Fantasy 14, which my husband plays. Oh, nice. I've never played Final Fantasy. He loves it. Nice. Yeah, I've heard good things. The music is really good. I know that. Yes. Yes, it's very good. Yeah. So the man goes, I have nowhere else to go. I have taken her to every healer in Bravos. I've spent every penny I had. She suffers every day of her life, and I just want it to end. Yeah, and during that, the, the camera angle cuts to show the little girl all slumped over and with her head leaning against the edge of the pool, sort of foreshadowing what Arya needs to do. Yeah, and she, she kind of looks around like, I'm the only one in here. I yeah. mean, she's been in there enough to know like what they do, but she's never done it herself. And right, her eyes are dashing back and forth, and she's, she's like, "Do I do it? Am I getting? Am I going to get in trouble if I do it? Right. Am I getting trouble if I don't do it? Like, what? What's going to happen?" A girl realizes what she must do. Yeah. So interesting fact. I'm not sure if you've picked up on this. This girl that Arya kills in this scene with the with the pool water, the mm. poison water is the face that she wears when she goes to mess with Sir Marin. Oh, Sir Marin. Damn, yeah, I didn't notice that. That's a good catch. Yeah, when she's getting whipped and she like looks up at him. Right. That's that's this girl. Good catch. So, yeah, I thought that was really cool that they brought her back. Yeah, and plus it's like Arya's first legit kill within the House of Black and White, so it makes sense for her to wear it in, a, in an wear important it. moment for her. To honor the girl, kind of, you know? Yeah, in fact, at that point, she hasn't made any other kills yet. This is her first and only kill up to that point. As a faceless man. Because right, yeah. she try she tries to kill the actress after Marin Trant because 
Jacken's going to give her a second chance, right? Or am I like totally off? She's definitely assigned to kill the actress and she chooses not to. Yes. So the little girl says to Arya, it hurts. And this is Arya's first story of being somebody else. Right. She sort of got trained throughout the the rest, like the earlier part of the episode in the game of faces and sort of picks up piece by piece how to do it as she's going. We'll talk more about that later, but this is the moment where it like all comes together for her and she successfully employs the game of faces. Yeah. She goes, I used to be like you. I was sick. I was dying, but my father never gave up on me. He loved me more than anything in the world. Just like your father loves you. Kind of reminiscent of the Shireen situation. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, so this is, you know, this is all a lie, essentially, because yeah. she's never been sick or dying. Um, but she goes even deeper and, you know, says, my father prayed to the many faced God and I drank the water from this fountain and it healed me. So fucked up. So the girl takes a sip and then, you know, she dies and Arya is tasked with cleaning her body. But before that, though, Jockin is like watching from the distance as Arya. Oh, yeah. I love that camera scene or that camera angle. Like he's it looks in the shadows, too. Yeah. Like she just took this upon herself to do it. Right. So Jockin opens the door and like starts walking down this beautiful staircase and i don't have you ever seen phantom of the opera yeah not in a while but it's a yeah, great movie great movie it's a great play but mm-hmm. it reminds me of when the phantom is leading christine down the stairs to the catacombs of the oh, opera house snap. with like the staircase and the candles and the torches and it's kind of spirally it's one of my favorite you know moments in the play and in the movie of Phantom of the Opera, so maybe it just has stuck with me, but it, it gave me that same vibe, like she's going down into the belly of this, you know... That's sick. I gotta watch that again. House. It's a while. Yeah, it's awesome. You're talking about the version with the... With, who is it? Gerard Butler playing the Phantom? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I remember the cinematography was really impressive in that movie. It was I loved just beautiful it. beautiful looking. Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Um... <laughs> No, seriously, it's one of my favorite. I, they tried to do it with Les Mis and it with Anne Hathaway, and it was really good, but it just wasn't. It's better in a play, Les Mis, in my opinion. And the Phantom transitioned over to the cinema, you know, the cinema really well, cinematic really well. Yeah. So it just reminded me of that. And so she's, you know, following Jack in down these beautiful staircases and the candles on the floor and all of a sudden they come to the hall of faces and it's like i remember when we watched it the first time we were just like oh my god yeah what huge, is this place thick columns massive tall massively tall ceiling so i had a question oh, is every face that they kill does it go here or is it every face that is killed directly within the walls that go there um, it probably is a mix, but I also imagine considering they've been doing it for so long that they would just have so many faces that there's no way they could all actually even fit into the hall of faces. So I'm sure there's like people that keep some on them and yeah, I was curious how they like decide which ones to keep and which ones to discard and yeah, good question. I'm not sure. 
just sparked my curiosity because there were so many there, but it didn't seem like it was enough for it to be like all the kills that they've done. Yeah, totally. So I love Jockin. He says, is the girl ready to give up her ears, her nose, her tongue, her hopes and dreams, her loves and hates, all that make a girl who she is forever? One of the creepiest fucking lines ever right there. (laughs) I know. I was like, I had to pause it and rewind it. I was like, I never really remember him saying that. Right. Watching it, like looking along with the script, you're paying attention to the words a lot. And you're like, God damn. Yeah, it's like, super dark. That's crazy. And I love how he says this. He goes, no, the girl is not ready to become no one, but she is ready to become someone else. Yeah, so cool. And it was really cool because it's again, she's she's being tested whether she knows it or not. And as she passed these tests, she gets kind of to like the next level of training. Yep. So now she's going to go pretend to be Lana, if I'm not mistaken, the oyster cart girl. Is it uh, oysters, cockles, and something? Oysters, clams, and cockles. It's <laughs> great. And that's when we get Lara back, the horror from, what's his face? The pirate. The pirate guy. From uh, Salador San. Salador. Yeah. So lots of fun scenes coming up for for Arya, and this is the start of that. Totally. So that was my number five. Nice. Yeah, it's also interesting. She seems to be fascinated by the faces as well. Just like we're yeah. asking all these questions about them and everything, she walks over and sort of sort of fixes fixates on this old woman's face, and she must be curious if they're real or if they're like costume oh, faces sure. or something, because she reaches out and touches her on the cheek. And it's well, Jockin has kind of given her his monologue. Yeah, it's she's in awe and she's like, what is this? Like, are these statues? Are they like yeah. real? They need to <laughs> what make is a this? Game of Thrones video game, like a really sick Skyrim style video game, big open yeah. world type thing. Oh my God, that'd be so Because awesome. I really want to like walk around inside the, the house of black and white. Me too. Uh, maybe we'll podcast from there one of these days. Yes, let's do it. So, do you have any other notes for this little scene here? Um, not so much for this little tiny scene, but I, yeah, I just love the architecture of this building and I really want to just explore it. So, they did a real good job of um, creating a sense of mystery and wonder. And yeah. They did. Absolutely. So, what's your number five? My number five is Arya learning the game of faces. So Ooh, we'll just okay. uh, take a few steps backwards and start at the beginning of the episode. Awesome. With Arya, who is washing bodies silently, doing what she's told and not asking questions, which is new for her. She seems like she's trying to adapt to the environment and <laughs> follow the teachings. She's washing them with a lot of care. And yes. To, like, a lot of She's respect. very meticulous about what she's doing. Mm-hmm respectful correct yeah exactly yeah totally so uh she's doing her thing three different bodies and these two faceless men come in carry off the body and uh they leave the door open one of the times right so she just goes to to walk over and sort of peek through and maybe walk through and right when she gets there the waif just appears from nowhere and whack slams the door shut (laughs) 
And I'm like, damn, how did she sneak up on her? Uh, so Arya, you know, has this this antagonistic sort of relationship with the waif. So she does ask, decide to ask a question here. What are they doing with the, with the bodies? And uh, Get back to work. Yeah, the waif's all pissed off. And she's like, what the fuck? I've been doing this for weeks and nobody tells me anything. Like, what the hell is going on? So the, the, the waif basically tells her to fuck off, which is typical. So um, she, conti- she continues on and asks about when she gets to play the game. And the waif's like, what fucking game are you talking about? And uh, You know, she, the game of faces. Right, duh. You tried. You failed. And she's such a, like, the waif is just such a twerp, man. She's like, she seems to be like smug and like full of herself. And uh, that seems like contradictory to uh, being no one to me. Just like her attitude is, it seems like the attitude of someone, you know? <laughs> Right. Someone like has that she's attitude. better than everybody. Right. So um, Arya apparently didn't even know that she'd been playing the Game of Faces this whole time already. So the Waif asks her who she is. And in typical Arya fashion, she's trying to fit in. So she says, no one. She doesn't realize yet that she has to lie to play the Game of Faces. She's trying to pretend like she's no one when she should be pretending like she's somebody she's else. She's somebody. Yes, yeah. exactly. So... Um, Arya is like getting frustrated and she's like, well, who, who are you? What are you doing here? How'd you get here? And uh, this is when Arya gets her first like real clue about how to play the game of faces. Typically, you know, the waif is pretty unhelpful, but here she's actually pretty helpful by showing her, showing Arya the way to, to play. Yeah. So, um, the waif comes up with a bullshit story. I'm from Westeros, just like you, daughter of a Lord, just like you only child heir to his fortune mother died father remarried and you know the story and uh she's just basically coming up with all these lies and it's really she's she's said a couple things that are making aria relate to her like being the daughter of a lord being westerosi so aria seems like genuinely moved by the story you know like sympathetic she's smiling yeah and looks like concerned and and stuff and uh the wave uh, after she finishes and sees Arya's reaction, her her smile slowly fades back to the deadpan look. And uh, despite the unlikability of the character of the wave, I think that the actress does a really good job in this scene. Me too. Yeah. So then <laughs> the wave's like, "Was that true or a lie?" You know. And Arya just looks like dumbfounded, like she has no idea what's going on. She's like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> it's great." And the wave asks her did you believe every word i said and aria is just like i don't even know what to fucking say to this and the way it's just like get back to work and so then we it cuts to uh, aria sleeping and jockin wakes her up by asking who are you which is creepy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't want to wake up to that i'd be like what yeah that's pretty funny so so uh he's like aria you know and he's like where did you come from and she's answering westeros winterfell etc and but she decides to uh, throw in a little bit of a lie when she's talking about her dad. So he's, you know, she says, "Daughter of Eddard Stark, he died in battle." And Jock and whack, whack. threw at the stick. A lie, he says. And so she's sort of figured out the 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 scheme of the game at this point. So she uh, she continues telling things about her past with elements of truth mixed with fiction, about how she. After Ned was executed, she fled the cap. And each time she like corrects the, the the lie that she had been caught with beforehand. 
Yes, to the truth. <laughs> yeah, right. So after he was executed, I fled the capital. I had to kill a stable boy, drove my sword through his back. When we all know it was through Whack. his belly. Whack. Again, a lie. And then so she's, she changes it. I stabbed him in the gut, tried to find my mother and brother. And then uh, she, she says she was captured by uh, a, a man named Poliver. Whack again, it's a lie. We know it's the hound. So she she changes her story again. And uh she goes on to talk a little bit about them and saying that she left him in the mountains to die. She wanted him to suffer. She hated him. And Jack and Whack hits her again. And this seems to confirm our speculation that yes, Arya had, I have this in my notes. <laughs> yeah, removed the hound from her list. Because she she continues on sticking to this lie. I hated him and whack he hits her again. I hated him. <laughs> Smack. And she's like That's even, not a lie. Yeah. She's so intent on like pushing this narrative. And uh Jackin's response is great. The girl lies to me, to the many faced God, to herself. Does she truly want to be no one? But it is it, important. She's lying to herself. This means that uh, she's conflicted about her feelings by the hound. She she sort of guiltily loves him, uh, despite all of her reasons to hate him, uh, which is funny because it sort of mirrors the conflicting facial expressions we saw on Tormund last week when John unchained oh, him. Oh, yes. You know, he looks so like, yeah. mad, but like his face is flickering with admiration at the same time. And uh, he's struggling to come to grips with his true feelings, just like Arya is with the Hound here. And I think it's funny because even Jacken knows that she doesn't hate the Hound. Like, right. Arya may still think she thinks she hates the Hound, but yeah. Jacken even knows that that's a lie. And so that's another question. How does Jacken know all this? I don't know. <laughs> you know he These faceless like, men like wig me out. I still feel like <laughs> I'm missing half the story. Like there's more to unfold with them and uncover. So much more. Well, you got to um, get there in the books because there's lots of good stuff in the books. Okay. Maybe that's, I'm feeling like they should be more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not mysterious, but like more of like a puzzle than they are. There's, there's more to them than what they're giving on the show. I oh, feel like definitely. there's missing pieces. They're probably hiding some stuff to like reveal later on or something. I mean, there's only six yeah. episodes left and we kind of wrapped up that storyline, but maybe it'll, maybe it'll come back around somehow. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, I, I would like to read this in the books because oh, I think yeah. it's probably a little bit better portrayed. There's a lot of cool stuff that we don't get in the show. Mm -hmm. um, For sure. So, so Jack and he says the girl lies to herself. Does she truly want to be no one? And Arya says, yes. And he hits her again. Um, and she starts bleeding out of her mouth. But um, calling her out on a lie, saying she wants to be no one, is important because it, it tells us that Arya doesn't want to give up her identity. No, because she didn't bury, she didn't bury, or she didn't get rid of Needle. Exactly. Either. That's what that represented, which we talked about. So uh, we, we know the truth here, that she doesn't want to not be Arya Stark. She doesn't want to be no one. She, her identity is important to her. She can't give all that up. So uh, she starts, <laughs> kind of, she gets frustrated by this, and she's like, I'm not playing this stupid game anymore. <laughs> I know. And response is great. We never stop playing. We're always playing. And I just thought that was a really interesting line. Like, we're always no one, you know? Yeah. 
It's just who we are. It's creepy. Yeah. And then he kind of walks out and she's left sitting on the floor to contemplate all this madness. Which it is. It's kind of madness. It's like when I watched it the first time, I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, <laughs> I don't know how this fits into the rest of the show. Right. Like what and, is happening? You know, now that it's played out and I, you know, have rewatched as many times as I have, I, I love it more than ever mm. but when i first watched it the first few times i was like this is weird <laughs> first time for it's, me i had just finished the books because i i read the books in between seasons four and five oh, got so it. okay so for me first time through i like i sort of like knew a lot of about what was happening you know but mm. it was really cool still all the visuals to add to the you know the mental imagery is sweet yeah so that pretty sure. uh, much wraps up that scene with Jock and walking out. And then the next time we come back to her, it's when she sort of put all the pieces together and she uh, is, manages to employ the game to <laughs> to execute that little girl, which is not yes. funny. So I don't know why I was laughing when I said that. <laughs> what do you got for number four? My number four is Cersei playing the role of Tywin. <laughs> nice. Which is... Elena and Cersei's conversation. Nice. And I think one of mine is something to do with that too. Yeah. The famously tart tongued queen of thorns. Yes. Yes. Um, so Elena returns back to King's Landing because her grandson has been seized by the faith militant. And she could smell that shit from miles away. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I uh, love that classic. Scene. She's like, why are we stopped? Mm-hmm. Go on. <laughs> so Elena does talk to Marjorie first, but I, my my t- my number four is when Cersei's sitting there, lear- you know, executing something that she learned from her father, which is writing while people are waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a power play she picked up from him. Mm-hmm, because Tywin does it to both Cersei and Elena. <laughs> that's right that's right i forgot he did it to cersei too and so cersei is doing it to elena and elena immediately sees what's going on here yeah which she's is like, why she's I like put this. the pen down <laughs> we both know you're not writing anything yeah it's so funny and so she's not too because at the end of the episode when when uh, elena walks out cersei stops writing and we- <laughs> exactly i have that in my notes too she doesn't <laughs> she's not writing anything she's yeah. just doing it to basically you know play play a role and that's the difference between her her and tywin because tywin was probably really writing some shit like putting together the the red wedding or something you know yeah i agree he was probably actually doing stuff yeah like tywin's pen strokes have weight so i love when (laughs) cersei goes oh yes the famously tart-tongued queen of thorns and the famous tart queen cersei Beg your pardon? You heard me, bitch. <laughs> I love that. Elena's yeah. just so funny, man. So Cersei is hiding behind the faith militant. Basically, Elena is like, you are willing to give up our alliance because you're arming this faith militant. And Cersei is kind of hiding behind it. She's like, I didn't, I didn't arrest Sir Loras. Right. I didn't, you know... But it's like everyone knows, Cersei, that you're the one that put this whole thing into play. Right. You're not as smart as you think you are. Like we all know. Yeah. She goes, 
I was as shocked as anyone when the Faith arrested Sir Loras. I have no love for these fanatics, but what can a queen mother do? It's like, you shouldn't have done what you did in the first place. Right. And Elena is trying to do a, you know, her, play her game of basically the reach is where all like the food is grown and raised and she has jurisdiction over that. Right. Did you suddenly stop needing our troops and gold and the, all the supplies? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Elena's like, I don't see how you could expect our alliance to continue if you're going to, like, throw our pride and joy, our only male heir, into jail for being gay, which has never been an issue before, which Elena and Marjorie talk about. I'm sure we'll talk about later. It's like... That was never enforced until Cersei gave power to the church. Yeah, totally. And Cersei is like, as I said, you know, I didn't imprison anyone. And as for your veiled threats. <laughs> what veil? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Olena yeah. is the best. She's like, no, this is this is not a threat. This is a promise, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I just, I really loved Elena here. She goes, I didn't trust your father. I didn't particularly like him, but I respected him. Yeah, he, he was, was no, no fool. fool. And I think this is, you know, a slap in the face to Cersei being like, I don't trust you. I don't like you, but I also don't respect you. And I think you're a fool. Yeah, totally. Is what she's saying <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, she's not really talking about Tywin. She's talking about Cersei by reflecting him uh, Because off of Cersei her. is acting like Tywin in this scene, pretending yeah, to be more Tywin. busy than she is or, you know, having this power play of, I'm so busy, I have to write letters while you sit here. And <laughs> Cersei's response is so stupid to her. Oh, right, right. He, yeah, he's, she says, uh, you know, Tywin understood that sometimes we have to work with our rivals rather than try to destroy them. Yeah, and Cersei goes, House Lannister has no rival. It's like, what are you talking yeah, about? Wow, really? Your gold mines ran out. You know? Like, at this point, the North is against you. There's King, there's, you know, the Ironborn, you know, we still have What's-His-Face, um, Greyjoy up there saying that he's the king. Quite frankly, they call Elena the Queen of Thorns. We have Danny to deal with. Like, if you don't think House Lannister has rivals, you're clearly mistaken. Right. Everybody is out to get you right now after Tywin died. And even Jamie says this to Cersei. They are going to come after us. Yeah, after, exactly. Because our dad's dead. So where's the disconnect? Why is Cersei... Did she really think that or is she just like putting on a show? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know if she's really just completely disconnected. Um, if she's as dense as quark gluon plasma, you know, or if she is just like projecting confidence, faking it till she makes it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I think she's faking it till she makes it because yeah. she and Jamie have had several conversations about 
their their rivals and how their house is going to fall. And this becomes a huge concern in season seven for Cersei. So I think it's in the back of her mind, but I think she's just fluffing her feathers up to make her look bigger than she actually is. Totally. So she's faking it until she makes it. But at the same time, she's so dense to think that anybody buys it. <laughs> you know, what I mean? I like know. it's like a combination of both. She's, she's faking it. And at the same time, she's also just completely clueless. So dumb. So dumb. So dumb. So dumb. So <laughs> it's the writing is on the wall that, Okay, so these sparrows roll into town. You go talk to the high sparrow, and the next thing the whole city knows, or at least the lords and ladies of King's Landing know, that the faith militant has been restored by the king, who's Tommen, who's like 12, and is more interested in having sex (laughs) and avoiding violence. We all know it's you, Cersei. He sounds like, uh, like a flower child. Having yes. sex and avoiding violence. It's the <laughs> summer of 69. He went to Woodstock yeah, with Justin Bieber's there you haircut. Go. Summer of 69, exactly. Peace and love. Tom and Baratheon. That's his campaign slogan. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, he's such a dumbass. Yeah, so Cersei, she goes on to say, the High Sparrow has called for an inquest, not a trial. Just a small hearing to determine whether the changes, the charges against Loras have merit, which I'm sure they don't. And it's like, okay, the grandma knows that Loras is gay. Cersei knows. Everybody knows that Loras is gay. So that's not, you know, Loras will be freed. Our happy alliance will continue and we'll forget this unfortunate conversation ever happened. Good day, Lady Olena. I swear the and only Olena's reason just, that Olena leaves beca- is because she sees that arguing with Cersei is completely pointless. Like, completely. <laughs> it's completely pointless. It's Cersei lost upon her. so dumb. Yeah, it's lost upon her. Yeah. I think she would have continued to go at it with if it was Tywin. I have written down that Cersei is as dense as quark gluon plasma. Do you know what that is? No, it's, no it's, it's a particle that was created with one of the uh, the high speed particle accelerators. They collided stuff and made this this plasma that's like so incredibly dense that like a, a like a cubic centimeter of it would weigh like a hundred billion tons or something like that. That's how dense Cersei it's, Lannister is. Physics and chemistry just make my mind hurt. <laughs> just not a science person. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, so that was my number four. Do you have any other notes on this? Um, just that Olena had a, a bunch of hilarious lines, like oh, uh, yeah. when she's meeting with um with Marjorie before everything. She refers to uh, <laughs> Dolores again as a pillow biter, yeah, uh, which is funny. And what did she say? If they arrested all the pillow biters in King's Landing, there'd be no room left in the dungeons for anyone else. So there must be a lot of uh, a lot of gay people there, apparently. Yeah, and she's Renly Baratheon shagged half the stable boys in the Seven Kingdoms. Everyone knew, <laughs> right. no one cared. Oh yeah, and she seemed surprised that Tywin claimed he hadn't messed around with any guys in his lifetime either. Remember that? Yeah, I think they're a little bit more free down south and. You know, yeah. I think the farther south you go, the freer you get because, I mean, Dorn is of that yeah, it's mindset like the most as well. Extreme uh, version, which I think the farther north you go, the more like respect of tradition 
um, yeah, that's and a good, strict, good point. strictness. Like Ned Stark was so disciplined and honorable and right. set in his ways and not showy. So it's like the frigid versus the flu the, the fluid. That's a great uh great analogy or a great uh you know great thing to pick up on. Good good call. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what was your number four? My number four um is uh just the, the basically the funny Queen of Thorns lines. <laughs> oh, okay. Well why don't we why don't we just go through Elena and Marjorie's convo then? Yeah, let's see what else there is. Um Oh, she she's talking to Marjorie and Marjorie's all stressed out. Cersei, Cersei is behind this. She's like, everybody knows this. And Olena tells her, get some rest, dear. You look appalling. I know. <laughs> Just hilarious. I feel like that's something my grandma would have said. My grandma was the best. Uh, yeah. We pretty much covered all the rest of that. Just so funny. Yeah. I love Olena. Anytime she's on screen, you know, it's going to be great. Absolutely. Stealing this show. I like her little... Her little headpiece. It reminds me of the Disney version of Robin Hood. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so what's your number three? Good question. My number three is Baelish and Cersei. Ooh. I love these types of um, dialogue scenes between two power play people. Yeah, definitely. Me too. I always feel that it it propels the story. There's lots of little nuances that you can pick up on. There's lots of just little things that you can gloss over and not pay attention to, but end up meaning a lot later down the line. And I felt this was kind of an interesting moment between Baelish and Cersei. So Baelish, again, (laughs) everybody knows it's Cersei behind the faith militant because even Baelish says do you think it's wise your grace arresting their heir to Highgarden right and he hasn't even been around it's like just so painfully obvious and Cersei's like again she goes the faith arrested the heir and he's just like fucking whatever whatever dude (laughs) of course and the faith were armed on your orders the king's orders and of course like we know that Cersei has his ear he's a young boy and his mother is whispering right. things to him. You know, of course he's going to listen to her. He's like house Tyrell won't tolerate these insults. This is not going to work. You know, <laughs> she's like, I'm the insulted party. Loris <laughs> <laughs> was promised to me. Instead, he chose the company of boys. Oh my God. This just cracks me up that she's playing the victim here. Like no, you are not even in the ballpark of being a victim in right. anything at all. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Littlefinger has a great dig back at her. One's choice of companion is a curious thing. Yes, most curious. Yeah, and she spins it back on him. <laughs> Liza was a repellent woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I know you're still in mourning though, yeah. so I won't talk any more shit about her. Liza was a good woman, a kind woman. She was neither of those things. We both know it. <laughs> he took a dig at her incest first, and then he she took a dig at his murder plot with Liza. Oh yeah, you yeah. He, he's like, she's like, I know you, I see you. Yeah, uh, that's funny. He's like, I know yeah. something about you, and she's like, Well, I know something about you too. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, that's great. Their back and forths are freaking classic. Yeah, like you were saying, these 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 uh, clever back and forths between key players. Uh, it's like the it's word like the game, game of, of Thrones. Words. Yeah, yes. yeah, the game of words. There you go. And yeah, so, it's awesome. Um, we we find now the reason Cersei summoned Baelish back to King's Landing because she wants to know when if it comes down to it, will the Eerie and the Lords of the Vale fight for the throne? That's the reason right. why she summoned him back because as we've discussed in previous episodes, Cersei's trying to grasp onto any type of power left to grab onto. She doesn't like the idea that Baelish is powerful at this point, but he is Lord of the Eerie. He's acting Lord of the Eerie right now. So that's important. And we know how strong the Knights of the Vale are because of an earlier conversation with Bolton and Littlefinger about when the North and the South rose together, they took down the greatest dynasty the world has ever known. So I think Cersei, while she's stupid i think she's also smart enough to know this that the the veil is a key component in success or failure when it comes to war it's a great point and also the veil is the only army in westeros basically that has been completely unaffected by the war of five kings because no one can get up there yeah at least um, you know outside of dorne which hasn't really been involved yeah so i like also where baelish says I know how hard it could be to lose both of your parents at such a young age. And I was curious, being that I'm still reading the books, do we know when and how his parents died? Um, I don't remember, actually. I'm not sure. Okay. I was just curious. If any of our listeners know that, I would love to to hear more about his childhood at the Fingers and how his parents died. And I'm sure that's what prompted him to go live with the Tullys. Maybe, yeah. So, Baelish continues to, you know, massage Cersei's confidence in their relationship. Young Robin um, heeds my advice, and I have always counseled loyalty to the throne. (laughs) And I find this really, really interesting, because he goes into talking about finding Sansa alive and well and home again back in Winterfell. Yeah, how crazy is that? It's like so unbelievably brazen considering he was the one who whisked her away from King's Landing. Yeah, and Cersei's like, what the fuck? Like, that's not possible. And he goes, my sources are well-placed. Like, I was just there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My sources are well-placed. And Cersei's saying, that's not possible. You know, it reminded me of Luke Skywalker in episode five when Darth Vader reveals, no, I am your father. And he's like, no! No! That's impossible! (laughs) But so we we see Baelish is showing the 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 viewer his hand right here because he's playing both sides. He has Sansa in Winterfell safe. So he played the Lannisters to get her up there. He's gonna marry her to the Boltons. He's confident that Stannis is gonna crush the Boltons, or vice versa. It doesn't really matter. And then he's gonna come through and just like take out all the rest of the that haven't fallen (laughs) yeah the veil is already going to be up there so that brings me to another point a little bit later here but we also it's also unveiled to us that if he does this for cersei helps you know pick off the you know the winner of that battle Mm -hmm. 
name him warden of the north right and i watching it this time through i'd forgotten that she basically throws that out there as uh you know something from to strive towards but i could tell with his angling through the the earlier part of the conversation you know that he was planning on offering his services to go and take out like he suggested having cersei and her army ride north and we know from from Roos's conversation with Ramsay a couple episodes ago that the the army from King's Landing has never come up this far north, you know. So that was no. out of the question. Littlefinger threw that idea out there so that then he could say, "Well, I happen to be in a more convenient place to ride on on Winterfell and take out the stragglers from the Battle of the Bastard or the battle uh, between Stannis and the Boltons." So he was setting himself up to secure the place as the most you know the the strongest military power in the north and uh set himself up to be warden of the north basically and then take sansa as his wife <laughs> yeah exactly and then after making the offer uh cersei f- falls for the trap perfectly and she's like well you know if you do that I, i'll make you warden of the north and he's like yes that was my plan all along you know <laughs> yeah because just to con- kind of continue unraveling his his uh, plot, you know, he's been advancing on Cer- or not on Cersei. Ooh, that's creepy. Um, yeah. On Sansa, you know, kissing her, mm-hmm. telling her stories about her family. Yeah, you know, uh, unveiling his cards to her about his awkward love for her in different ways, <laughs> and that she won't basically won't be married to Ramsay very long. Yeah, and so he's positioning himself to take over that that yeah relationship and solidify his hold on the north which is why the boltons want to marry ramsey to sansa Mm -hmm. in the first place combining the powers of the vale and winterfell into one galvanized military unit yeah under him which we know from his conversation with the boltons or with roos at least like that was what took down the Targaryens and he would be in control of both. Exactly. Yeah. That's so amazing. on top of that, great analysis on top of that, I was thinking, well, we think when the battle of the bastards comes that Baelish rides North for Sansa, but his plan was already to ride North to begin with. Right. That's true. He was going to try to take out whoever won at the battle of the bastards. So did he really go for her or did he go because he was going anyways? That's a great point. He probably went because he was going to go anyway, try to take out Stannis, uh, which was who he assumed was going to win. But he was surprised by finding um, Jon Snow's army there, basically. Yeah. So he had to uh, change his story. Yeah, totally. And and decide that, you know, I'm sure Sansa did send him a letter, but whether he went for her or not, I'm sure... Part of him went for her, but I. This was already. It was, in yeah, it was his, already in the works. It just didn't have to fight this time. It was already there. And there's the new obstacle of Jon Snow, basically, which he has to yeah. size up and see what he needs to do. Exactly. Because that was a wild card, you know. Nobody was expecting Jon Snow to be killed and come back to life and have his his vow to the the Night's Watch be fulfilled, essentially, because he's free from the Night's Watch at this point. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. Definitely not Baelish. Yeah, and so we, I mean, we get another kind of crazy moment with Cersei in this, too, where she's like, I'm going to skin him and his bastard, bastard like that wretch on his bloody sigil. Yeah, I <laughs> love that part. And Baelish is like, I would, you know, counsel patience. 
And, you know, Cersei is just showing that she's crazy again. And then we do get into the conversation of like, well, why doesn't Uncle Kevin, you know, do it? Why doesn't the Lannister army go up there and kick some Bolton ass? And Cersei's like, my Uncle Kevin has the courage of a kitchen mouse. Oh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Jamie then. Jamie is away on a sensitive diplomatic mission. I have no idea when he'll be back. And I feel like when she says that, she's almost thinking like he's not going to make it back, period. Mm. Yeah, because that's true. She was like sick of him. Maybe she wants him to get killed or something. I don't know if that's it or she is really nervous about him going down there with one hand. Oh, yeah, maybe that's Because too. she made that point, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, Baelish is setting up all this chaos. He's such a slippery bastard, man, you know, and he's definitely doing what he does best in this scene, just sowing chaos, playing both sides against each other and setting himself up to be in the good graces of whoever comes out on top in the end. Exactly. He's so smart. Like uh, He's in with Bolton. He's in with Cersei. He's in with Sansa. Yeah. I mean, Sansa, for lack of a better term, trusts him at this point. I think she's wary of him, but to this point, yeah, to this very episode, Baelish has never put her in harm's way. Yep. Yeah. Until uh, not not intentionally, at least <laughs> not intentionally. And I still don't think him marrying her to Ruth or not to Ruth, but to Ramsey was intentional for her to get sort of an accident. Yeah. To get. Although and he you, did put that poison on her and put her in a position to potentially be arrested in King's Landing. That's true. Uh, I think I think he knew though that Elena I, I just I think he was so confident in that that he wasn't worried about her danger there. I thought either. I just um thought of something cool about this scene. His uh his idea which he divulges to Cersei about letting Stannis and Roos battle it out and letting the uh the enemies of e- of the throne slaughter each other and then when they're done seizing Winterfell from whichever thief survives. This is sort of a microcosm of of his modus operandi in general um he turns people against each other like right off of the bat from the first episode you know he sets house the stark and against the lannisters. the lannisters right basically results in house stark being eliminated now he's he's just this is what he does he sets other people against each other while remaining in the good graces of both sides letting his enemies wipe each other out and then coming in and finishing off the weak ones himself if he has to or just setting up another house to to do it climbed this ladder his entire life yeah so it's a pretty pretty valid tactic but here is like uh it's i don't know if it's really if people have pointed it out before but this is him basically divulging his his central strategy to Cersei, you know. We should let them take each other out and, you know, come in and seize Winterfell from whoever whoever the wins. Stragglers. The stragglers. <laughs> yeah, this is what he does. It's so cool. It's it's and it's honestly it's worked for a long time. Yeah. And I think his blindness with Sansa just comes from that awkward feeling of daughter slash woman he loves type mm-hmm. of love for her and it's confusing and she uses it to her advantage which is you know his undoing which totally. i can't wait to i can't wait for that episode oh yeah it's Ugh, always fun i love that episode yeah so he says name me warden of the north i will not rest until the lion flies over winterfell and cersei goes and i'll know when you're a man of your word when i see sansa stark's head on a spike Right. As I said, I live to serve. Oh, 
You think he would do it or does he like, does he love Sansa? How far will he go for power? Does he have any loyalty whatsoever to anything or anyone? I think he loves Sansa, but I think he would do it. (laughs) Depending on which situation he was in. Yeah, probably. Nothing comes before Baelish. Yeah. If he was in a situation to keep Sansa alive and still win the situation, I think he would. Mm hmm. But if he was left no choice, I think he would kill her. Totally. Oh, Cersei in this scene basically says winter is coming. Also, just (laughs) changes the words a little bit. Um, She's like, Winterfell is a thousand miles away from here. And the weather has already begun to turn. (laughs) And winter is coming, (laughs) basically. Yes, it is. It's funny. I just thought that was kind of a cool little... uh, No, I didn't even catch that. That's great. Love it. Totally. Yeah, so what's your number three? My number three is Jorah, learning of his father's fate. Oh, yeah, that's sad. Really sad moment, but also um, an important moment, you know? It's a character that we we care about, Jorah, learning a, an important truth and a, you know, a development of, of his family, which it's, it's, um, it's a good scene, too, uh, it starts off with him the, him reminding the viewers that he has grayscale by, by looking at his little patch on his arm. And yeah. Tyrion's all mad because they were supposed to find a village by this point. Where are all these fucking villages you were talking yeah. about? <laughs> and uh, he's like, what the fuck? And he's like, you're, you're an awful traveling companion. Do, do, companion. Do you know that? Possibly the least charming man I've ever met. And it's become quite apparent. It's quite apparent that things have deteriorated slightly between the last or between uh, these two since the last time we saw them. Because last time we saw them, they're getting along pretty well, you know, sharing poetry and. I think Jorah's distancing himself because of his grayscale. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, so uh, Jorah's like, "Do you ever shut up?" You know. Um, <laughs> Oh, and Tyrion, there's another funny line in there, too. I'm not your traveling companion, he says. And Tyrion's like, we're traveling together in each other's company. Therefore, you know. <laughs> Do you ever shut up? <laughs> yeah. And this is a pretty pretty impressive feat that Tyrion managed to accomplish. You know, I sailed from King's Landing to Pentos in a crate without ever saying a word. That's pretty Which crazy. Which must have and, been so hard for him. <laughs> right. And Jorah had no idea, apparently, about any of this. We learn that he is not connected with the news of the Seven Kingdoms. He's like, like, why? You know, Tyrion's like, really? You never thought to ask what I was doing in a brothel in Volantis? Like, I'm just, <laughs> you know, hanging out out there for no reason. A Lannister and, uh, in Essos? Yeah. Or- yeah. <laughs> so Jorah's surprised by uh, this revelation from Tyrion, and Tyrion is surprised that Jorah never thought about what he was doing there, which is just kind of funny. They're both really surprised. And uh, Tyrion tells him, you know, like, I killed my father. He wanted to execute me for a crime I didn't commit. Plus, you know, he was fucking the woman that I loved. And uh, Jorah get like, stands up and it's like, it's pretty Ooh. crazy. <laughs> yeah, like, what is going on here? And uh, Tyrion says, you know, as miserable as you are, Mormont, at least your father was a good man. And he uses past tense, you know, was a good man. Yeah. Interestingly. So Jorah's like, what do you know about my father? I met him at the wall. Yeah. He tells him about how he got to meet him and how 
he knew all the stories about every one of his men and he really seemed to care about the people in his command and Jorah's, you know, smiling like, yep, sounds about right. And uh, he finishes off. But again, it was to past tense. He cared about the people in his command. Um, and he's like, how do they put it in the watch? We shall never see his like again. And Jorah's like, just looks completely uh, you fucking... You can see the pain on his face. Ian Glenn does such a great job here. Really, really good the job. The unspoken yeah. pain on he's, his face. Yeah, he's like clenching his teeth and like... And like... Like trying not to cry. Yeah, and Tyrion realizes, oh, you didn't know. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I am. And uh, Jorah asks him how it happened. And he's like, well, I, I only know what I heard. He's like, how? Like, fucking tell me, man. Like, what the hell? And uh, he tells him, you know, that he was leading an expedition beyond the wall, which is super hardcore considering Jorah's age. He's a pretty old yeah. guy, you know? Because really Jorah's close hardcore. to 60, we discover. Uh, Jorah, so his, yeah, right? His dad had to be you know really old and like the north is super harsh right so i mean tech true it is true that bear island is just about as north as you get um like parallel to the wall practically to the west um, yeah but still it's super badass jor mormont is a beast so he tells him you know there was a mutiny and he was murdered by his own men and jorah looks pretty shocked by this um he seems to be by the facial expression struggling to grasp it at all at first before after a few seconds um nodding his head in acceptance and uh he's just like we can't, he's like i can't deal with this we gotta keep moving man you know <laughs> just yeah. walks off and Tyrion yeah. gets up after him and follows and it's uh you know Tyrion looks pretty upset here too so you can tell he feels bad for him yeah and that's not a good way to find out you know it was just yeah. like sprung on him versus like dude you need to sit down there's something i gotta tell you yeah and under you can tell it underneath like all the anger on the exterior between these two that they sort of care about each other you know they they feel some sort of kinship they have a mutual respect for each other yeah totally so that's it for my number three okay how about your numero dos my Numero dos is Loris's trial. Perfect. Mine is the arrest of the queen. So fabulous. So let's collaborate. Yes. So we start out in the room that um, the High Sparrow starts. You are aware of the rumors concerning you and Renly. And Loris is like, Psh, you know, I don't pay attention to rumors. Yeah, <laughs> I don't pay attention to rumors. You were said to be despondent when he died. Witnesses said that you refused to leave his bedside, even as Stannis's army closed in. We we actually well, got to see that when it happened, right? They're trying. Yeah, to like and you know away. who was there? Littlefinger. Oh yeah, Littlefinger, right? And Littlefinger's back in the capital. So he probably told Cersei. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Good catch. So I thought that was interesting. And to Loris's, you know, defense, he was my friend and he was my king. I, like, I was sad. And was he a part of Renly's Kingsguard? Um, yeah, I, I believe he, yeah, he totally was. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So, I mean, his place would be by his king. Right. And it was the same sentiment that even Brienne, when Renly died, she was like, I won't leave him. Like, that's the whole point of the fucking Kingsguard. Like, why would I leave him, even if he's dead? <laughs> right, you want people that are loyal to a fault. 
Yeah. To where it's like problematic for their own health. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost kind of like in a way a, an odd mirror to the doc, Ra- the, the Dothraki blood riders because if totally. their call dies, don't they die too? Or is that in the books? I think that's in the books, not in the show. To quote a wiki of ice and fire, citing a Game of Thrones chapter 36, Daenerys 4, ancient traditions proclaim that when a call dies, his blood riders die with him. Should the call die in battle, the blood riders live only long enough to avenge him. Once done, the last service the blood riders must perform is to escort the Khaleesi to Vice Dothrak to join the Dosh Kaleen, and then there to join their call in death. So... They all ride into the nightlands together for sure. It's that sort of like the old, uh, like, wasn't it when the Egyptian pharaohs died, they would kill their servants with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had people to serve them in the afterlife. Right, yeah, same same type of thing, I guess, with the, the nightlands, it sort of seems like. And so Loris goes on here and he goes, you know, I, or the sparrow goes, you know, Joffrey was your king and he was anoint, anointed by the seven. And Loris was good here. He goes, you know, I was wrong. I know that. Yep. Um, but I was forgiven by forgiven by Joffrey because I fought for him at the Battle of the Blackwater. Wearing Renly's armor. Like, what the fuck does that matter, what I wore? Right. Who fucking cares what I wore? Like, this is not, this has nothing to do with me having sex with men. You know, like, especially when we know that Oliver is looming. Right, attacking his like, character instead of presenting evidence. Evidence. Like, this. this has really... Nothing to do with it. I guess it's the best evidence the Sparrow has against his relations with Renly. Right. Circumstantial. To show that it's more than one man. But so, take on, you know, do you deny all the charges against you? Fornication, buggery, blasphemy? Of course I deny them. You never lay with Renly Baratheon? Never. And... You know, that's a straight up lie. Yeah, categorically denies it. <laughs> and to a fault, I think these high lords and ladies kind of think that they can get away with this game because they get away with it themselves politically. But we've introduced religion right, to this game and they play a different game. A non-compromising and, leader. Yeah. And so the Sparrow goes like, okay, so no one else? Never. Okay, well, that will be all, Sir Loris. And Elena is disgusted. They all are. Like, Marjorie is disgusted. I think even Tommen looked a little disgusted. Like, this is weird. Ugh. Like, what are we doing here? I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah, this whole scene is so frustrating. None of this should be happening. Tommen is such a limp noodle. Just like, oh, it's the worst. It's so bad. They shouldn't even be there. I think he has no clue what's going on. Yeah, there's only like two Kingsguard in there and they're completely surrounded by armed sparrows. What the hell is he thinking? I don't think he is thinking. I don't think he has a clue of what any of this means because he's so young and so like sheltered. Like he's not reading between the lines of how dangerous the situation is. Yeah, quite possibly. So Elena jumps up and she goes, well, I think that's quite enough of that. And the sparrow goes, the faith calls Queen Marjorie forward. Marjorie's like, like, what? what? <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, so I'll I let you take queen. it from here because I know this is your number two. Oh, so. all right, cool. Yeah, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, so Marjorie's like, you're calling me? He's like, yeah, the, the faith has some questions for you. She's like, but I'm the fucking queen, you know? And uh, yeah. 
He's like, yeah, but according to the law of the seven, neither kings nor queens are exempt from testimony at a holy inquest. And this is when uh, she she glances over at Tom and Cersei, and they're both grilling at her like, just do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, like, fuck that. Hell no. Tommen is such a bitch, man. None of this should be yeah, happening. Yeah, he should have stood up and been like, no. No, this is outside of the scope of the arranged, uh, you know, testimony hearing, basically. And I am the king. And while I know that I'm subject to religion, too, we need to have a conversation about how to proceed. She's not she's not going up there until we have a conversation. Yeah, Dear not Sparrow. without a lawyer present. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, it's so fucked up. So uh, Elena kind of like reluctantly sits back down and Marjorie walks over to the stand and sh- uh, she's asked basically how she responds to the charges and she's like, they're fucking lies, you know, and she confirms that a couple as far, times. As far and, as I know, you know. Right, yeah. In the presence of gods, do you swear that your brother is innocent of these charges against him to the to the best of your knowledge? <laughs> And she's like, yeah, it's all bullshit. Sure, why not? Yes, I do. He's my brother. Of course, I'm going to stand up against you fuckers. Totally. And so that's when uh, he's, you know, he's like, oh, well, well, thank you, Grace. You know, you can take a seat again. So she goes over and walks away. And that's when the door opens and Olivar gets brought in. And Loris looks fucking bugged (gasps) out. He's like, fuck. Yeah, he's like, oh, shit. And he kind of like shares a glance with Olena where she looks like, oh, fuck. And um, Cersei is smiling. and She's uh, smirking. Yeah. And in the background, I hear, I noticed that there's one of the sparrows is holding that four-pointed hammer thing that's used later on when they try to attack the mountain. <laughs> in, oh, yeah. When he's in the king's garden, it boom, like punctures into his breastplate. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. I noticed that one of the sparrows is holding that. And I'm like, where the fuck are all the king's guard? There should be way there more. There should be like way more. You have the king and the queen the queen mother and the queen's grandmother and the heir to high garden all in one room. Yeah. And isn't Loris a King's guard too? He is not. Was, wasn't he nominated King's guard? I feel like he's not a King's guard. I think he was a King's guard to Renly and then he was forgiven by Joffrey because. Oh, all right. I'm yeah. Yeah. You're right. I'm confusing the books in the show. Okay, so he was the Kingsguard in the book? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. No, at least we cleared it, you know. Yeah, totally. So, um, I'm just like, where the fuck are all these Kingsguard? You know, there should be a lot of people here protecting all these high-level individuals. And they're just surrounded by sparrows everywhere. I'm like, Tommen is the dumbest king ever like but so in in a way so is cersei for letting her son be there unguarded right she's so stupid she hasn't she has she's putting all of her eggs in one basket with the high sparrow totally totally so uh they bring out olivar and uh the sparrow's like you high sparrow you know this man oh yes yes he's lord tyrell heir to high garden and he, he says that he was his squire and that they engaged in intimate relations and all of this um and loris freaks out he's like liar you know he's a liar that's bullshit and uh he asks if there's anybody else who can support olivar's claim and he's like yeah you know queen marjorie was a witness she knows all about it Ugh. and she says yeah she she walked in on us once not long ago and didn't seem surprised 
And from a legal point perspective to me, I'm like, this is hearsay. You know, there's no proof. It's all just like testimony. Well, even Cersei pipes in, which I found so funny. She goes, why should we believe a squire over the queen's brother? Right. And yeah, over the heir to Highgarden. Or the heir to Highgarden. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, all of our... <laughs> This is all like planned out already, basically. Olivar is like, well, he has a birthmark, Your Grace. Quite high on his thigh, wine-colored and roughly the shape of Dorn. And I think this is still hearsay exactly. because... It's so, like, if he's if he's squiring, squiring. for Sir Loras, he's probably going to see him naked. Yeah, like, like a He has bunch. to help him with his armor, and that would not be a far-fetch for him to see a birthmark on his thigh... If he's squiring for somebody. Yeah, totally. This is total nonsense. And uh, Tommen should have known that, but he's clueless. And uh, Tommen has no clue. Yeah. Loras fucking freaks out at this point, And he like runs across the room at very high speed. He lunges. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the actor is like really fast in this scene. Yeah, he funny. totally he's sprinting. was. Uh, I noted that as well, how quickly he flew at him. Yeah, and he's just intercepted by sparrows all over the place. And basically, uh, Olenna's like, this is this is it. You know, we're out of here. And gets up and they try to walk out and the sparrows block them. She's like, get out of my way. <laughs> and uh, the sparrow, the high sparrow makes the announcement that the faith is satisfied that there is enough evidence to bring formal, to bring a formal trial for Sir Loris and Queen Marjorie. <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and Marjorie's like, what? And it, since Olivar's testimony contradicts Queen Marjorie's testimony of not knowing, they're going to take her into custody and try her as well for bearing false witness before the gods, which is apparently as grave a sin as any. So they order her to be taken into custody. And again, why would you take the word of some brothel keeper's pet uh, some some brothel working squire over the queen of the seven kingdoms <laughs> like you know what i mean like this this is yeah. ridiculous it's another sham trial essentially courtesy of cersei right yeah totally so the faith grabs her and starts dragging her out and she's like tommen tommen you know and, and he's like what do i do yeah and he looks around the room unsure and this is when he realizes it's only now way too late that he realizes that he's completely surrounded and outnumbered. He looks at his King's guard, then sees the sparrows everywhere with all these pointy weapons and shit. And he orders with a hand signal, the King's guard to stand down. And yeah. it's, it's the fucking worst man. Tommen is the biggest bitch of a King ever. I've, oh, I fucking hate Tommen. <laughs> like we all thought we would like Tommen, you know, and no, no. No, he's. I like him from a like he's a nice kid perspective, but he's a horrible king. Terrible king, and he he gets totally bitch made here too. Bitch made, motherfucker. Bitch made. Uh, so then Marjorie is losing her shit as she's being dragged away and Cersei's trap has been a marvelous success thus far. You know, obviously, and And she's uh, smirking. Yeah, Marjorie's just screaming as she gets dragged out and. Olena glares at Cersei like, you fucking bitch. And Cersei's just like, hey, I told you House Lannister has no rival. <laughs> just yeah. like, yeah, this was me, bitch. Like looking right at her, you know? And I'm just like, this is fucking ridiculous. This whole thing is just like unbelievable. Cersei is the worst. 
She is the worst of the worst. It's going to be hilarious to uh, watch this all get turned back around on her (laughs) coming up pretty quick, you know? I hope so. Yeah, totally. Speaking of which, it's probably her duplicity here. First narking out Loris and then complaining about the process to sort of save face in front of the Queen of Thorns and everything that puts her on the uh, the High Sparrow's radar. I bet he noticed her two, two-facedness and probably thinks she's scum, making it easy for him to believe Lancel's claims about Cersei. Uh, so yeah, that's it for my number two. How about your number one? Okay, so my number one is the intimidation of Miranda and the actual wedding. Nice. Yeah. Mine is the marriage too. So we can, uh, you know, I'll maybe okay. throw in a few words there. How about I'll go through the, I'll go through the scene of Sansa and Miranda and then you can take the wedding because right. mine was kind of a combo of both. Sure. Yeah. We'll see what happens. So, we hear a knock at Sansa's door. It's probably in the morning, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and Sansa opens the door and goes, what do you want? And Miranda says, Lord Ramsay sent me to draw your bath, my lady. <laughs> you want to be clean and fresh for your new husband, don't you? And, and she sounded a lot like Baelish there, a similar accent. Did you notice that? Yeah, like creepy. Totally. And so... I think this again is hinting to Sansa Ramsey's that Ramsey's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like for sure. it, she's, she's getting glimpses. And I think, you know, after what Miranda did with Theon, like sending her over to Theon, she knows that somehow Miranda is connected to Ramsey. Yeah. And that something's not right. <laughs> and so she's sitting there washing her hair and it's actually a, beautiful scene like they have the fire going they have that big tub Mm -hmm. you know it's dim in there and like the fire is kind of flickering on the stone walls and it's really i like it you know it's just a i love all the winterfell rooms they're so creepy and ominous and, (laughs) and beautiful and beautiful at the same time um so miranda goes you're so beautiful but you need to keep him happy. Ramsay gets bored easily. You don't want to end up like, well, like the others. And Sansa's what like, others? fucking what? Yeah, like, like what the fuck are you talking about? That's really creepy, you know, like to say that. And she's like, I, don't, I shouldn't gossip, you know, but really she, she wants to talk about it. Because as soon as Sansa asks again, what others, uh, <laughs> she, she answers so fast. <laughs> yeah. There was Kira, the blacksmith's daughter. Then there was Violet. She she got pregnant, and well, that was boring. And then there was Tamsi, and she got her face ripped off by a pack of dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Ramsey let me come with him on that hunt. That was creepy. And Sansa's like, hunt? Yeah. So Sansa, at this point, is figuring it out. Like, this girl loves Ramsey. Yeah, totally. And... You know, Sansa goes, what's your name again? She goes, Miranda. And she turns around and goes, how long have you loved him, Miranda? Yep. And she just goes silent. And I'm like, damn, Sansa's on point. She's like Hannibal Lecter in her own right. (laughs) Did you imagine that he would be with you forever? Is that it? Then I came along and ruined it. And this is the best line here. 
I am Sansa Stark of Winterfell. This is my home, and you can't frighten me. So epic. She just, like, puts her in her place there. Oh, I love it. Even though she's probably, like, freaking out. Yeah. Which we see, because when Miranda leaves, like, she's like, do you want me to finish? Looks a little nervous. You know, do you want me to finish your bath? Sansa's like, no, No. I can finish on my own. Get the fuck out of here. Um... And when she closes the door, though, Sansa puts her hands up to her face. Like, what the fuck? Yep. This is not good. This is not a good situation. Yeah, totally. Pretty crazy. And so I have to be like creepy Bran here and say that the wedding was really beautiful. Yeah. Like if it didn't end so horribly, uh, it's such a beautiful ceremony. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to separate it. I'm separating it for the rewatch (laughs) of what comes after. And I'm just taking that scene for face value of how beautiful the set was. Mm -hmm. The tree, the snow falling, the God's wood. Oh my God. Colors. Um, Sansa looked gorgeous. And it was so beautiful. It was like wool and with like a, a, the fur shawl and the buttons and the train. Oh, my God. I loved it. I loved her dress. Yeah. And her hair was done up like the northern girls. Yep. Washed it so it's red again now. Yes. Loved that. So I will let you take it from here because this is when we actually start the wedding, which I know is your number one. All right. So Theon basically shows up to, or Reek shows up to uh, Sansa's room and tells her, I've come to escort you to the Godswood, milady. And I thought it was interesting. It sounded like he said milady, which is what you would say if you were a lowborn peasant. Oh, yeah. So he knows, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. He knows that you should be, he should be saying my lady. So I'm wondering if this is part of his brainwashing by Ramsey, who's like made him talk like a commoner as part of his transformation. Oh, into maybe. Or yeah. if it was a script slip up uh, where he just, you know, said my lady. Or he's mumbling because he's nervous. Yeah. But uh, if it's intentional, it's a great detail. So I thought that was pretty cool. Completely. Let's go with that. Yeah, totally. So he asks her, will you take my arm? And she's like, fuck, fuck no, I'm not touching you. No. Disgusting reek. <laughs> you know, you trading traitor son of a bitch. Although he does look, he does look washed. Yeah, yeah, he probably maybe is. Yeah, His hair is, his hair is down and it's clean and, <laughs> you know, versus like, it's not in his face. It's, it's gelled back for intensive purposes. Ugh. Westerosi <sighs> gel. I don't even want to know what that's made of. I don't of. want to know what that is. But <laughs> it's hair gel. <laughs> we'll just go with the water. <laughs> so uh he's like, please take my arm, he'll punish me. You know, he told me to take your arm, he'll know. You know, and she's like, I don't care what happens to you or what you know what he does to you. So uh deal with it and just walks out. It's fucking brutal. So then we get to the Godswood. And like you were saying, mm. it's uh, beautiful out there. It's snowing. The lanterns leading. Yeah, the lanterns. The love that oh, shit. God. I loved it. And everyone looks so pretty with like the snow in their hair. And- yep. <laughs> Sansa looks a little nervous, understandably. She looks nervous, but she looks beautiful. Oh yeah. my god! And there's something about like the the ceremony, which is kind of kind of cool too. Like the wording of the questions and the way they do it, it's it's mm-hmm. overshadowed by like creepiness because of Ramsey and everything like that. But under yeah. different circumstances, it's pretty cool. Like, um, seems like pretty cool traditions and stuff, you know? 
I just tried to separate the physical wedding scene from the rape scene. Right. Like, yeah. And look at it from a first time viewer perspective, not knowing what happens mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's there's a couple moments worth mentioning as they're going back and forth with the the procedure. Ramsey announces himself and says um, says that he is Ramsey of House Bolton, heir to the Dreadfort and Winterfell. And when he says he's heir to Winterfell, Sansa looks mad as fuck. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yes, I did. So She's pissed. Like, f- her nostrils flare. Yeah. There's also a really cool camera shot where it, it's kind of like a wide angle view and you see the frozen pond and the tree where Ned was sitting polishing ice mm-hmm. in the yeah. pilot episode. So that's kind of cool too. And you see Miranda in the background all jealous. Yeah, super mad. And Ramsey is like, uh, he's smiling at his own machinations when he's like, and who gives the bride? You know, <laughs> and like looks at oh, Reek and like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm pulling Ugh. all the strings and he, he must've ordered Reek to pretend to be Theon for the purposes of the wedding too, because instead of saying I'm Reek, you know, he's like Theon of house Greyjoy, who was her father's ward. <laughs> he's like Ugh, struggling so with his sad. programming and yeah. So then Roos asks Lady Sansa, will you take this man? And we get sort of a glance around at everybody and Ramsey like does this thing with his eyebrows, like beckoning her. Like, are you going to say yes? Yeah. (laughs) Beckoning her with his eyebrows and Miranda's fuming and fat Waldo's just like, like, kind of like blank. (laughs) And uh, Sansa steps forward and agrees basically. And at this point, Ramsey's face turns into evil Frodo with his devilishly disturbing (laughs) grin. I got you now. Yeah, super disturbing. And then it cuts to Ramsey's chambers. And uh, first he starts off really nice. Like, are you pleased, my lady? And she's nodding. And good, I want you to be happy. And he's just such a lying son of a bitch. And then it mm. t- transitions to the bazaar or starts going downhill as he's acting like a freak. And he's like, my are father you says you're still a virgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Why are you still a virgin? Afraid of dwarves. And I I hate this part because she goes, Lord Lord Tyrion was kind. He was gentle. He never touched me. Yeah. Like, like, please don't yeah. be. Totally. It was almost and like a plea. Unlike Ramsay, yeah. Ugh. Uh yeah, totally. You're not lying to me. And she's like, No, no my lord. lord. Lying to your husband on his wedding night, that could be a very bad way to start a marriage. We are man and wife now. We should be honest with each other. Don't you think? She's like, yes, we should. (laughs) (laughs) And he kisses her. And then as he's pulling his head back, his eyes get like all bugged out for a a split second in a moment of of, um, mania before he pulls himself together again and orders her to strip, basically. Take off your clothes. Yeah, and Theon starts to leave, but he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You stay here, Reek. You watch. And Sansa's face is like, what? Yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, that is totally out of Like, her mouth is kind of open, and she's like, what is happening? And he's like, do I need to ask a second time, you know, to Sansa about taking off her clothes? I hate asking a second time. Super fucked up again. Such a scumbag. And uh, at this point, Sansa begins to look kind of terrified. She knows. uh, Yeah, she knows, like, this is not going to be good at all. 
and she starts to kind of continue to take off her beautiful dress, but it's not fast enough for Ramsey who comes to rip it apart. And he makes sure to tell Reek that he's watching again. You know, another creepy line. I told You've, you to reek. Yeah. Or to, to look, not to reek. <laughs> I told you to I told reek. You to reek. <laughs> <laughs> You're rather ripe today, Reek. Uh, so he says, you've known Sansa since she was a girl. Now watch her become a woman. You know, uh, that's <sighs> creepy enough. Um, and much like the death of the Red Viper, this scene is almost made more intense by allowing the viewer's imagination to take hold. And it, it only shows Reek's horrified reaction to the awful, you know, abuse that's going on. But um, you can hear the sounds in the background uh, of Sansa whimpering and crying. And it, it just never gets any easier to watch. It's really fucked up. And uh, Alfie Allen. For the rewatch. Yeah, for, for sure. On this one. And Alfie Allen um, just puts on an incredible performance uh, as he just, as tears pour down his face and he's just seizing his whole like body and his face is just contorting as uh, he's forced to witness the horror of what's happening. It's almost like he's being raped with her. Yeah, how totally. Yeah. Yeah. And man, it's uh, if, if you think this is bad, it's worse in the books. I'm just going to tell you. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Reek is made to do more than just watch in the books. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No. And, uh, yeah. So... Ugh. Enjoy that when you get to that part of the books, I guess. Oh, my God. I don't know, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's fucked up. So I uh, skip over that. Well, never skip anything because there's always little clues hidden in place. You know, I know, it but sucks, like, but ugh, just gotta I just power can't. through it. It's so hard. Yeah, it's so sad because Sansa is such like the image of virtue and right immaturity and like childlike behavior, and to yeah to finally see that kind of stripped away from her physically and not just mentally anymore. It was really, really difficult really super rough i remember um, watching that one with my husband too and he was like i i don't know about that <laughs> yeah and uh unfortunately it just gets worse from here for her as she's basically locked in her chamber and continuously beaten and raped for an unknown she's amount basically of time. a sex toy yeah until escaping with um at that point theon basically when he sort of snaps out of reek but um do you think that at some point throughout this whole period of trauma that uh, Ramsey gets her pregnant. She very well could be. Cause remember there's that one line when she's talking to Littlefinger about how Ramsey did all this stuff to her. And she's like, I still feel what he did to me like inside. And she could be talking yeah, about feeling pregnant. She could be. I mean, um, among other, you know, potential side effects of things that could have been done. I felt like there's been various hints that she's pregnant. Interesting. I feel like trying to remember. I was I was showing pretty big time when I started really feeling Justin move around. Mm. Like it wasn't just like gas bubbles. It was like physical like movement. Right. You know, like I could feel him roll or like shift from side to side. And I was fairly 
pregnant at that point. Like people knew, knew like noticed that I was <laughs> right, pregnant. Right. Um, and she doesn't, she's under all those big clothes. So it could be that absolutely could be. I thought about that too. A new bastard of Winterfell. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. Oh no, it wouldn't be a bastard though. Technically it would be a Bolton. He would be a Bolton. Oh Ooh. God, that's even worse. That's worse. Ugh. Yeah. So uh, that, that pretty much wraps up the episode. It, it ends on uh, Alfie Allen's brilliant performance, shaking and quivering and crying and super hard to watch. And it's just, you know, the horrifying sounds in the background of what's happening and brutal end to the episode. I'm glad we still have some more notes to talk about. So we're not ending on, <laughs> on this note. Me too. That's why I made sure to put it in my top, Five. <laughs> yeah, same here. Because um, <laughs> I didn't want it to be the last thing. Yeah, so let's move on to notes. So my first note that I have is going back to Tyrion and Jorah. Yeah, I love this Walking scene. through the countryside, um, talking about Danny and why she's worth all this. Mm-hmm. So Jorah continues, do you believe in anything? Right, well, Tyrion's, Tyrion's trying to get a grasp of like what the hell's going on because the Mormons fought against the Targaryens, right? So he's like, why are you loyal to, to, to Danny? Like, this doesn't make any sense. This goes against like what your house was for. Right. And so Jorah goes, do you believe in anything? And Tyrion goes, I believe in many things. In something greater than ourselves, I mean. The gods, destiny, do you believe that there's a plan for this world? No. Neither. He's a nihilist, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Or not necessarily a nihilist, but he doesn't believe that there's any like great plan or grand design. There's no fate, basically. Right. And again, Jorah and Tyrion connect here because Jorah goes, neither did I. I was a cynic, just like you. Then I saw a girl step into a great fire with three stone eggs. When the fire burned out, I thought I'd find her blackened bones. Instead, I found her, Daenerys, alive and unhurt, holding her baby dragons. Oh, my God. I get goosebumps every time. Yeah, have you ever heard baby dragons singing? Tyrion's like, no. He goes, it's hard to be a cynic after that. And I loved that. Oh, my God. And there's like a a little moment where he's like alive and unhurt, holding her baby dragons. And it cuts to Tyrion's face and he just looks totally blown away. And it, it sort of makes me think of how at the beginning of the story, he's sort of making japes about when they're heading to the wall about the grumpkins and grumpkins. Yeah. But now he knows that dragons exist and he's, he's sort of questioning his own natural doubts about things like a few seasons ago. He may have been like, yeah, sure. About this whole story. But he's actually seen, he's seen Drogon. So he knows that they're, they're real. Yeah. So dragons are alive. Maybe it's possible that Daenerys is unburnt because that's, that's the part of the story that he's like, skeptical about yeah i would imagine so right well i would be right so yeah it's just pretty crazy this whole thing and the idea of baby dragons singing i remember so clearly at the end of the first season when they're there the she's got one of the dragons in her arms and one of them's on her shoulder and one of them's upper leg yeah it's probably drogon on her shoulder and right at the last shot of the show it's like sort of zooming out off the dragon on her shoulder and he's like and he screeches yeah and he spreads his wings. Yep. He's all little and cute. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So yeah, I'd love this scene too. Really great speech by Jorah. 
his voice also is just so good. So it makes it even more intense. Uh, just great. I mean, it, he's talking about a life changing moment for him. Yeah, like, totally. It changed like, his whole, it changed his whole perspective on everything. On reality as a whole. One moment in time. Yeah. And so Tyrion, of course, uh, so ever, ever driven by logic is like, that doesn't mean she's going to be a great queen. Which is true. Yeah, and Jorah's like, yeah, you're right, you know, and he's like, the the Targaryens are famously insane, you know, (laughs) what if she (laughs) conquers the world, then what, a thousand years of peace and prosperity? And Jorah's like, well, first, we got to conquer the world. So he's pretty confident in Daenerys uh, and her just, like, her her concept of justice. He's like, yeah, it would be a good place if if she conquered the world. Yeah, we wouldn't have all this, like, little finger type activity. (laughs) So Tyrion... Tyrion's like we, um, so because obviously like, Jorah's aren't you been exiled? <laughs> yeah, exiled. <laughs> so he's like, even like, what are you expecting? Like that you're gonna bring me, and she's gonna be cool and like be so happy about it. She's gonna hack off my head, bring you back into the fold. Then you command her army and go just take over everything and win the Iron Throne, and it's a happy, like happy ending. Long live the queen. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's pretty funny. Which we know that that's not how it's going to end. Right. And he also brings up another good point. Like, she's never even, like, spent a day in Westeros of of her adult life. Like, she's just going to show up out of nowhere and rule the Seven Kingdoms. That's what you consider justice. That's a plan. You know, and I just, I love Tyrion. He's he's so logic-driven. He uh, thinks for himself, questions authority. And I'm just like, He's a critical thinker. Yeah, totally. Think for yourself question authority it's it's a from a tool song (laughs) just like repeats over and over it's awesome and so jorah on the other hand is like driven by partially motivated at least by her justice but also he's like she's the rightful heir that's just the way the cookie crumbles (laughs) totally so uh, at that, a couple seconds later, that's when uh, a slave ship shows up and they get busted by Ma- Malco, who uh, is yes. played by Adewale Aknui Agbaje. You know that guy? Say that again. Adewale Aknui Agbaje. Adewale Aknui Agbaje. <laughs> He's, uh, you may know him from Lost, where he played Mr. Echo. Another great character. Oh, okay. I did not watch Lost, but oh, I heard it was good. Yeah, really good. I recommend it. And this actor okay. is fantastic, too. He's in a lot of good stuff. Um, so it's really cool seeing him on Game of Thrones. They uh, they take the two captive. They're going to cut Tyrion's throat. Uh, <laughs> Damn. And put, and put Jorah in the, the salt mines or make him a galley slave. Um, so, so, uh, they're like, cut his throat. We can sell his, his, uh, his cock to a, dwarf, <laughs> to a cock merchant, uh, cause the dwarf's cock has magic powers. It sort of reminded me of that guy who said it's lucky to rub a dwarf's head. It's even luckier to suck a dwarf's cock, right? Cause dwarf's cocks yes. have magic powers. So that's why it's so lucky. There we go. <laughs> um, and so Tyrion's begging for his life, obviously. He doesn't want to A, be killed, or B, lose his cock, right? So he's like, so how would the seller know that the, the cock came from a dwarf unless he sees the dwarf? And <laughs> like, keep me alive, you know? And the, one of the other guys is like, it will be a dwarf-sized cock. Yes, again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that line by Tyrion. It's so funny. Guess again. 
man, that's great. That's awesome. So, Baje, a.k.a. Malco, he's like, you know, the dwarf lives until we find a cock merchant. <laughs> just, just the idea <laughs> what of... What the a, fuck's a cock, a cock merchant? merchant right? <laughs> yeah, like... When uh, I grow up, I want to be a cock merchant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, just, yeah, imagine being a cock merchant. <laughs> it's hilarious, <laughs> just that concept that people do that or would... They could specialize in just selling cocks, you know. <laughs> dwarf ones. That's what we nonetheless. do. Dwarf cocks, yeah. Uh, Must be like for sorcery, like what they did with Varus, maybe. Oh Varys's yeah. Varus's parts, right? Or uh, they got to be doing something with the rest of the bodies from the all those dwarves that are being being killed to give Cersei their heads, right? So maybe, yeah. maybe Cersei's got her own cock merchant. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So, so uh, Tyrion's thinking pretty quickly. Uh, after he after he finds out he's going to live, at least for now, he changes uh, his strategy to try to save Jorah, or at least to get them to Marine. Because um, somebody says something about Daenerys having opened the the fighting pits, and he's like, "Oh, the fighting pits! Well, you're in luck. You know this guy. That guy's the uh, he's one of the best fighters in the Seven Kingdoms." Um, but first Malco kind of thinks that he's talking about himself, you know, the door, yeah. <laughs> Tyrion, the door, him, <laughs> you know, he's like, no, no him. And that's when, like you said, we find out that Jorah is like around 60 or so. And mm-hmm. uh, Tyrion has a great line. Sure. He's a bit long in the tooth, a bit withered, <laughs> been in the sun too long. We can all see that, <laughs> but he's a veteran of a hundred battles. They wrote songs about him. Fucking Did they really write songs about him? No, Tyrion's just like. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe there's a some song about one of his triumphant jousting yeah, tournaments or something. Because he is like a, a renowned warrior. Well, when Malco says, is that true? Jorah like reluctantly nods his head. And I can't tell if he's reluctantly nodding his head because it's true and he's like humble about it or because it's a lie and he's like, I think not- it's a lie and he's like committing to to the, the game the story yeah, okay okay to Tyrion, and he's like yes yes he's, he's going along with it you know <laughs> you get it you get what i'm doing yeah 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 totally um although he is like you said uh you know he is a famous warrior he's won a lot of tournaments and stuff like that the specific example that Tyrion gives the tourney at lannisport unseating sir jamie lannister himself that one specifically is true but, i don't uh, think that ever happened for yeah. some reason Winning tournaments, though, is how Jorah got his first wife, Lyness Hightower. Oh, okay. Um, the one that left him because he didn't have enough money. Yeah, so he, he was trying to win all these tournaments and stuff, and she was like, he won her with his valor at the tournaments, basically, and then uh, she was like, oh, Bear Island sucks. Like, this is fucking rugged <laughs> It's up cold here. up here. Yeah. So he had to keep her occupied with money, and then, like, you know, that whole thing uh, happened. Yeah. Yeah. selling slaves to uh try to fund his his wife operation um his wife so, operation <laughs> yeah you know so malco's like jousting you're talking about jousting a fancy game for fancy lads hitting each other with sticks yeah 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 so uh it's like the men who fight in marine will swallow him whole and that's when Jorah steps up again and starts playing into the story and Tyrion's smile of excitement is <laughs> as Jorah jumps in on the game of faces, which is what they're yeah. doing here, like lying about all this stuff. Basically, it's priceless. Although this this line is not a lie. Jorah tells him, I killed a Dothraki blood rider in single combat. And Malko is like, whoa, he kind of jumps up like super 
surprised about that and gets in his face. He's like, liar. It's no lie. His name was Quotho. He was a blood rider to Khal Drogo. And he says, take me to Slaver's Bay, put a sword in my hand and I'll prove my worth. And he is like, you know, world-class fighter. Yeah. Like on Lisa Sky level. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, do you, do you think maybe Tyrion is thinking that that is a lie because what there's talking about has been kind of like the game of faces, like lying. Maybe. So maybe he, he thinks it's a story, but in reality it's true. It's entirely possible. There's no way that Tyrion would know about that. No, um, not Tyrion at all. is like looking on like exhilarated. He's like, at this point, he's like, yes, we have him. It's working. Um, and I thought it was funny. Malco is, he looks at Jorah and like, then his, his angry face turns into a big smile. And um, it looked like when I, when I do the Joker cosplay, I paint yeah. my teeth with this stuff called zombie rot and it makes them all gross. Cause the Joker's teeth are gnarly you know, in mm-hmm. the dark night. Um, but after a few hours, it starts like peeling off and it looked like they used that stuff on Adewale Akinui Agbaje's teeth here. Oh, really? <laughs> like little oh, patches funny. of the zombie rot tooth paint. <laughs> I was that's like, oh, I recognize that. So yeah, that's it for that scene. What do you got next? Unless you want to add something. The only thing I want to add is I, I loved it because they were able to... Because these, these pirates were going to Volantis and now they basically coerced them into going to Marine, which is where they wanted to go in the first place. Yep. Yeah. So now they slow. have their boat. So now they're going to get there <laughs> yeah, faster. The that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So Great. that's the only other note I wanted to add for that scene. Nice. All right. What do you got next? Um, the next note I have is Baelish and Lancel. Right. Dude, it was Brother amazing how, uh, how fast Baelish realized it was Lancel, con- considering how drastically different he looks than season yeah. one or whatever the last time they were near each other. Definitely. I'd, were they ever even in proximity to each other? Um, I don't. I don't even know. In, I don't in the show, anything. like, I'm sure he knew who he was, but I don't think we ever see them. Yeah. Together. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's interesting too. Like, yeah, this is the first time we see them together. So Brother Lancel goes, Lord Baelish. <laughs> Baelish is like, yeah, Lancel Lannister. <laughs> brother Lancel now we abandon our family names that's quite a family to abandon <laughs> and Littlefinger is totally surrounded here like Tommen was surrounded before it's a dangerous situation oh yeah and his eyes are darting all around his little oh, yeah. hands are folded yeah, and his, little his, hands. Little, <laughs> his little fingers his little fingers are all folded like oh, holding each man. other and his little eyes are darting all around like and you can just see it he's trying to calculate how to get the hell out of there totally so Lancel basically tells Baelish, you know, like, <laughs> it's way different here, bro. Like, we're in charge now. We're the faith militant. Cersei yep. fucked up, essentially. And they aren't going to let him pass because he's a brothel keeper, essentially. Right. And he has I to love, drop some names, basically, to get yeah, through. Yeah. I was just going to say, he has to, like, tell Brother Lancel, like... <laughs> the queen mother is waiting for me. Like, should I send word that I'm going to be late? <laughs> right. He's like, eh, fine. You can go. Yeah. Step carefully, Lord Baelish. There's so. little tolerance for flesh peddlers in the new King's landing. We both peddle fantasies. Brother. Yes. Mine just happened to be entertaining. 
that is such a funny line to me. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Pretty great. It's a great little duel between totally. those two. There's a lot of little duels in this episode. Yes, pairings. Yeah. What's next? Uh, Tristane and Marcella? Yeah. Why don't you talk about this one? Sure. So they're walking together through the, the, the garden, the water gardens, and Tristane is in, he's in uh, ladies' man mode, putting flowers in her hair and kissing I'm her. Ask and, you. <laughs> yeah. And she's kind of like nervous, asking if she's only wants to marry her because of their arranged marriage and whatnot. And <laughs> he's like, he doesn't like outright say that he loves her, but he's like, he's like, it's okay that we can, we can make out and stuff. Cause we're going to be married, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's like, how many other girls have you walked through these gardens? And <laughs> it must be a few because he doesn't seem to want to give a direct answer. He changes the yeah. subject completely. I like the way your eyes go squinty when you're jealous. Diversion. She calls him <laughs> out on it too. You didn't answer the question. And that's when we see Doran and Ario hanging out on the balcony, sort of watching them. And uh, Doran's talking about how they they look great together, but they're a, Lan- a Lannister and a Martell, and they have no idea how dangerous that is. Yes, um, which is pretty I intense. I love that line. Uh, and he, uh, Ario's like, "Yes, my prince." And Ario's cool, man. Too bad we don't get to see more of him. Yeah, you were talking. Was it last episode about his relationship with his axe? Yeah, exactly. So Doran's like, uh, you haven't even had to use that axe of yours in a very long time. I hope you remember how. And Ario's like, yeah, I fucking sleep with this thing every night. You know? like, yeah, I remember how. <laughs> I remember how. how. <laughs> so funny. Ario and his axe is like a boy and his dog, basically. Basically. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. And then it cuts to uh, Jamie and Bronn. And this, I think, may be my favorite Westerosi song. Are you familiar with it? The Dornishman's Wife? Yeah. Just from just from Braun singing it. Just from Braun singing it, so you don't know all yeah. the words? No. I think we need to read all the words. So here are the lyrics. The Dornishman's wife was as fair as the sun. Her kisses were warmer than spring. But the Dornishman's blade was made from black steel, and its kiss was a terrible thing. The Dornishman's wife would sing as she bathed, in a voice that was sweet as a peach. But the Dornishman's blade had a song of its own, and a bite sharp and cold as a leech. Ooh. As he lay on the ground, with the darkness around, and the taste of his blood on his tongue, his brothers knelt by him and prayed him a prayer, and he smiled and he laughed and he sung. Brothers, oh brothers, my days here are done. The Dornishman's taken my life. But what does it matter? For all men must die. And I've tasted the Dornishman's wife. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so Jamie's trying to get him to stop singing because he doesn't want everybody in, in Dorn to know uh, that they're from King's Landing, right? Yeah. And, and Bronn's like, you're cutting me off early. He says, this song really is all about the ending. I'm just getting to the good part, he tells him. <laughs> so funny. He's like, uh, Jamie's like, it can wait. Yeah, totally. So they spot another, like a line of Dornishmen riding towards the water gardens. And they're like, that's where we want to go. We, Jamie's like, that's the water gardens up there. Um, so Bron's like, well, you know, uh, once we've got the princess, then what? Jamie's like, I like to improvise. <laughs> that explains the golden hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. 
always have a plan um, and it foreshadows the complete failure of this operation. But it's also yes. worth noting that it was improvisation, the tale of the, the sapphires and Tarth, which led to his hand being cut off in the first place. So it, it really was a direct result of his improvisation and trying to manipulate um, Locke and the, uh, those guys that cut off his hand that led to that, that event happening. So Bron is a little bit more right on the money than he may even know he is. Realize. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What do you got next? Water gardens? So I have, I have the water gardens. I have the sand snakes and Alaria and she's, they're in like what looks like a bathhouse almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes unbowed, unbent, unbroken for Oberyn. Yep. Words of House Martell, unbowed, unbent, unbroken, just to, uh, for anybody who didn't know that. And I love, I mean, I, so I watched the scene a little bit more closely with knowing that it was such a disappointment to book readers. And the more I paid attention to the like the fight sequences of the the sand snakes, I have to agree. Compared to the rest of the show, it was done fairly sloppily, if you will. The other thing that book readers didn't like about it is that it just it, it's so improbable that Jamie and Bron are showing up there to capture Marcella right as this attack is going down, and it just like it just yeah, seems so. It seems a little um, too perfect timing. Like right. they're both going after Marcella right at the same day at yeah, the same exactly. time. And it's this type of writing that um, that leads most fans to consider season five the low point of the series. Oh, interesting. Yeah, mostly because of Dorn. I, can, I mean, I can see that. I can definitely see why that would, you know, cause people to think that. I find season five a huge springboard into, you know the end of the, sh- the series right and i mean like, it's got you know as well as the worst moments in the show it's also got some of the best moments yeah totally. yeah but i i mean i have to agree the and even knowing that even further that makes more sense but i do have to agree that it was a little sloppily put together and kind of out of character from a perspective of we're, we're used to seeing people nearly missing each other not mm-hmm. being all convert converging at the same at moment at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> For an extraction of a princess nonetheless, you yeah. know, it's kind of um like fairy tale-ish if totally. you will. Totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh what other other thing that pisses me off and it's not from like a production standpoint, it's just it pisses me off about the character Alaria. She's like for Oberyn, but she was there at King's Landing at the wedding when Oberyn told Cersei, "We don't hurt little girls in Dorne." You know? So yeah. she should fucking know better that this is not something that would be endorsed by Oberyn. So saying for Oberyn is just bullshit here. Yeah, it's not for Oberyn. It's for yourself. It's right. for your own vendetta because you're freaking pissed. Totally. So the, the Sand Snakes go out and J- Jamie and Braun are already with Marcella and Tristane, which is pretty funny, right? <laughs> when I love, I love Marcella because they're just sitting there making out and she hears Marcella. She goes, Uncle Jamie? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? So total sidebar. I have a great story about my uncle. His name is not Jamie, but... <laughs> Um, when I was up at Oregon state, it was my birthday and I was house sitting for one of my professors and she lived about six or seven miles out of town. 
and I locked my keys in my car at her house. So I was walking um, like back to the highway, essentially, and then cross over the highway to get to (laughs) back to campus where I lived. And as I was crossing over the highway, which was probably like four miles from her house, I had walked about four miles in July. Damn. (laughs) In flip flops and pajamas. Brutal. (laughs) So, So I crossed the freeway or not the freeway. It's like a like a there was light for me to cross. And I feel like really creepy because I feel a car pull up behind me and I like kind of freaked out because that's scary. Right. And all of a sudden I hear Rachel and I turn around and it's my uncle Rod who lives in California and he's like in Corvallis. Where's Corvallis? <laughs> it's in Oregon. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's where right. I went to school. It's hardcore. Apparently his headquarters, his work headquarters is in Corvallis and he was up there for a client meeting and he was stopped at the light and watched me cross the street. <laughs> that's nuts. I had sort of a similar thing happen to me too. I was down in Georgia in Atlanta and think about it's Atlanta, Georgia. How many Starbucks do you think there are in that city? A ton, a hundreds, ton of them. thousands. Right. So I'm at this random Starbucks with my friend, Justin, and we we walk in and I'm, I just so happened to at that moment be telling him about how my aunt lives in Atlanta. And I look over and my aunt is sitting there and I was like, oh no God. freaking way. Like that is just too weird. Yeah, so it was funny when she had that same reaction because I had that reaction too. Like, I was so excited really? and kind here? of like weirded out. Like, what are you doing here? But I was so relieved because he was able to give me a ride back to my house yeah. and then back to my car because I was going to have to walk back oh, with that my keys. Um, but Pre-Uber. it was just, oh, this was way before yeah, Uber, that's honey. <laughs> that's <what I> mean. <laughs> Funny. This is way before Uber. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he gave me a ride, and then he took me out to lunch for my birthday, and it was an awesome birthday. Sweet victory yeah. was yours. So back to the show. So yeah, um, Jamie's like, let's speak in private, and then Trist- Tristane steps up and introduces himself, and uh, Marcella says, you know, they're engaged, and Jamie's like, excellent, nice to meet you, but uh, Bronze, like, why don't you let them have some time alone, son? And Tristane's like looking over Bronze armor and something doesn't feel right, you know, so he, he like reaches for his sword or he, he's like thinking about it and Bronze can tell and Bronze's like, let's not do something stupid. Tristane tries to draw his sword and Bronze just punches him so fast. <laughs> and uh, he's like, that was something stupid. And Marcella's freaking out. She's like, and, oh my God. Uh, Jamie's trying to grab her, grab her to get her out of there and whoosh whip girl <laughs> wraps up Jamie's <laughs> arm. And, uh, that's when the whole battle starts and bronze like, Oh, for fuck's sake. Like none of this makes any sense. <laughs> so one of the sand snakes is wielding a spear. Obara. One is wielding a whip. Is that Tyene or Nim? I can't remember which it's is which. Nim. Okay. So that's Nim, Nim is the whip girl. Nim is the whip girl. And then dagger girl, AKA Carl Tanner is Tyene. So they're all fighting and Lady Nim eventually gets to Marcella and starts like dragging her away. And I think Tyene cuts Bronze arm. So we know about Oberyn putting poison on his weapons. So immediately we should be worried for Bron here. Especially because the camera pans to the cut. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally. it, it gives you like it got his skin. He's bleeding. Yeah. They're making note of it. 
Yeah. So that's when Ario shows up. Drop your weapons. Yeah. And the his men just surround everybody. And Obara like has to, you know, give a little monologue like I'm Oberyn's daughter. I fight for Dorn. Who do you fight for? <laughs> and everybody's just like, oh my God, shut up. Yeah. Like drop your weapons. You <laughs> stupid bitch. Slowly they drop all their weapons. And uh, <laughs> Ario like spins over towards Jamie and com- brings his, his big ass axe like right down by Jamie's neck. And Jamie's yes. like, ah! like at an angle, <laughs> like, you know, and, Jamie gets bitch made. Bitch made, motherfucker. <laughs> it's hard to watch Jamie get bitch made. But, uh, you know, Ario has a good line. When you were whole, it would have been a good fight. And uh, I love that because it gives Jamie the respect that he's due as being like a well-known fighter. But yeah, also totally. throwing it in his face like I could just chop your head off right this <laughs> yeah. second. Like you're no match. But I'm me. not going to do it because you're not whole and I respect you kind of at the level of a fighter. Yeah. I like that too. Um, so Jamie <laughs> drops his sword, uh, with his tail between his legs. Um, Bron drops his sword and he says to, uh, Tyene, you fight pretty good for a little girl, right? <laughs> yeah. And she freaks out. And that's something that I'm sure pissed off book readers too because uh, she kind of wigs out yeah a sand snake from the books would never be this easily riled up and then subdued so simply got it uh, never so that's way out of character for sand snakes uh the way she like how totally many are there in like the that. book are there three in the book there's like eight because i was gonna say oberon has eight daughters yeah i mean there's there's a bunch some are younger than others there's um these three are big, three big important ones for sure in the books. Got it. Okay. So uh, they all get sort of dragged out of there. And then Ilaria is still in the bathhouse and seems so shocked when all of Ario Hota's men come in and corner her. And it's like, what were you expecting? <laughs> you know, right? like, so dumb. You are really dumb for real. You are really dumb for real. <laughs> oh my god uh Ilaria so yeah I'm just like merp god damn it Ilaria just gotta ruin everything ruin the sand snakes (laughs) you ruined like the uh Dorn yeah what (laughs) yeah 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 basically and she was so good in season four too like she was awesome I, I still love her character even when she's spiteful there's something about her that I still she's just passionate and I don't know. She's dumb, but she's like (laughs) blind. She's blinded by what happened. Yeah, totally. So it's understandable from, you know, from certain perspective for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I had for my notes. What about you? Same here. That wraps it up. Nice. So stick with us guys. We'll be right back after a short break. That's What Do You Mean? featuring Celeste Collins by Pold. Check him out 
at soundcloud.com slash pulled music. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. From Associated Press, a professor names beetle species after Game of Thrones. Oh, thank you for not giving me this one. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Who knows? Maybe there'll be difficulty in the next one, though. Maybe. (laughs) Lincoln, Nebraska. A Nebraska entomologist has named three of his eight newest beetle discoveries after the dragons from, or wyverns, as we know from last episode, from the HBO series Game of Thrones and George R.R. Martin's book series A Song of Ice and Fire. University of Nebraska Lincoln professor Brett Brett Ratcliffe named the new scarab beetle species Gementis dragoni, Gementis regali, and Gementis viserioni. The Omaha World Herald reported. The names are Latinized versions of Drogon, Rhaegal, and Viserion. Oh. Three dragons owned by Daenerys Targaryen's character in the fictional world. Ratcliffe said he's a fan of the series, but ultimately chose the names to draw attention to biodiversity and the amount of undiscovered species. He says, when you create names like these, you do it to gain a little bit of notoriety and bring public attention to it. We're still discovering life on Earth. One of every four living things on Earth is a beetle. We haven't discovered them all. We're not even close. Ratcliffe says he's named hundreds of species over his 50-year career, and creating new names becomes difficult. Naming rules recommend against using humor or insults and are particularly (laughs) useful to avoid having duplicate names, he said. Ratcliffe said he went with the pop culture reference to have a little bit of fun. I've often thought that scientists take themselves too seriously, Ratcliffe said, and this is a way to circumvent that. Dragoni and Viserioni can be found in Colombia and Ecuador, while Regali is in the French Guyana. All three have orange features, or Guyana. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll post an article about it, too, because the beetles are pretty cool looking. And I thought this was a funny story to include since we recently covered the Kung. kung Orson. Kung. <laughs> Orson the Lannister, yeah. I was thinking Orson would love these beetles. Smash the beetles. Smash them. Smash them. <laughs> Smash the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Next, from winteriscoming.net. University students write, cast, and perform their own version of Game of Thrones Season 8. And this sounds That's super cool. cool. By Dan Selk. Can you not wait to watch the final season of Game of Thrones? You are not alone. Earlier this year, students at Boston University broke and wrote their own versions broke and wrote yeah i don't know okay you can just say wrote yeah earlier this year students at boston university wrote their own versions of the final six scripts for a class put together by veteran tv writer producer then they cast actors from the boston area secured a space grabbed some props and filmed a dramatic reading of their work HBO even sent them an Iron Throne for their trouble. What? That's awesome. that's nuts. And now you can watch the fruits of their labors on YouTube. It's the closest you'll get to experiencing the ending of Game of Thrones without, you know, actually doing that. (laughs) (laughs) The full season read-through takes about six hours, one hour per episode. 
If you have the time as winter break winds down, sit back, relax, and let these Boston area thespians take you away to Westeros. As far as final tests go, this beats the hell out of a written exam. I assume everybody passed. <laughs> sure. Classic. If you have a mind to, you can read the first six scripts of the students of what the students wrote here and or sign up to read the rest here. It'll be fun to see what, if anything, the students guessed right in the actual season eight drop in April. We'll post a link to the article with these links for you to get the scripts. And you can actually watch the uh, the dramatic performances as well. They have all six hours of it. Nice. Up. So we'll post that and uh, you guys can get a little sneak peek at the BU students' imagination, um, imaginary version of <laughs> Game of Thrones season eight, which sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, cool. I like that. On to Game of Thrones and history, finishing off the article from time.com, nine books to read about the real history behind Game of Thrones by Sarah Begley. Sonny Bean, Dissecting the Legend of Scotland's Infamous Cannibal Killer Family Ooh. by Blaine L. Pardo. The story is likely fictional, but some fans have pointed out similarities between the cannibal faction of the Wildlings and the legend of Sonny Bean clan, which was said to have murdered and eaten a thousand people over a 25-year period while living in the Scottish Sea Cave. Weird. Yeah, totally weird. <laughs> Experts believe the legend was probably invented as a form of anti-Scottish propaganda. Anti-Scottish propaganda? That's not good, laddie. Propaganda. If it's not Scottish, <laughs> it's crap. If it's no Scottish, it's crap. Next is Hadrian and the Triumph of Rome by Anthony Everett. The wall along the northern border of the Seven Kingdoms bears a similarity to Hadrian's Wall, built along the northern border of Britannia to keep out the barbarians, a.k.a. Scots. Something about that anti-Scottish propaganda there. <laughs> <laughs> Roman emperor ordered his version to be built when he visited Britain in 122 CE at a height of 12 to 15 feet. It hardly compares to the massive wall defended by the Night's Watch. Caw, caw. What was that? What the heck was that? Sir Matthew of House Rep. We both peddle fantasies. Mine are at least entertaining. <laughs> Baelish shows his true beliefs concerning the faith of the seven, and in fact all religions. Littlefinger only believes in himself and what he can see. His next stop in his climb to power seems to be the Warden of the North, no matter who wins. He asks Cersei to make him Warden if he kills Sansa. If Stannis wins and he names her Wardeness, he plans to marry her. He really does not see any outcome where the Boltons emerge victorious. Yeah, that's pretty hardcore. He doesn't even plan a contingency for uh, a Bolton victory. Yeah. Except for himself going to kill the Boltons if they end up winning with the Knights of the Vale. Yeah, but they have Winterfell to protect them. You know, like. Yeah, they say what? 500 men could defend mm -hmm. against 10,000 at Winterfell or something? Yeah. Or 100,000 or something ridiculous? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm. That's a great point, Sir Matthew. Yeah. He didn't even he didn't count all the all the threats like he's talked to Sansa about before. Right. Totally. Like no, no, what all angles people can come at you basically. Yeah, and he definitely didn't see the John angle as we mentioned earlier too. No. Sir Matthew goes on. Poor Jorah has to hear about his father's passing third hand from his captive. 
Did Tyrion ever see Jorah fight in Westeros to know his prowess, or was he just working his game on the slavers? Matthew goes on, Arya has to face the fact that she is lying to herself when she says she hated Sandor. Yes, absolutely. He could have been at some of those tourneys and wit- having witnessed him jousting, because um, he is old enough and it was recent enough where it, it was tournaments where Jamie would have been going and competing and uh, Tyrion could have been there too. Yeah, as like a young boy. Mm-hmm. True. But yeah, I definitely see it didn't seem in any battles or anything like that. No. Okay. Next from Luke the Low Duke. Just trying to catch up with you on the rewatch. Season five, episode four. So good. Smiley emoji and thumbs up. Thanks, man. We appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. Low Duke. Lady Sarah of House Larkham. I felt this was one of the weakest episodes of Game of Thrones because of the sand snakes and the fight scene and how the episode ended. This episode foreshadows how the two how two of the sand snakes die in season seven, oh. episode two. Ooh, right back and let us know how because I can't remember. Something about Whip Girl when she wraps the whip around Jamie, maybe because she ends up hanging from her own whip, right? I think she gets strangled by it. Yeah, off the pr- she's and hanging then, off the prow of the ship, and then Obara gets impaled oh, on her own gets, spear. Right? Yeah, that's right. Something yeah, like very that. good so, catch. Oh yeah, nice. She goes on. We see Tyrion and Jorah sort of start to build trust with each other by convincing Malko to let Jorah fight in the fighting pits in Marine, and foreshadows season seven, episode six, when Tyrion and Jorah quickly catch up before Jorah, Gendry, and Jon go to the wall. I loved when Sansa said to Miranda, I am Sansa Stark of Winterfell, and you cannot intimidate me. (laughs) I had to skip the ending because it was horrific the first time. Yeah, I don't disagree. (laughs) Don't blame you. Yeah, for real. Hello, it's Zach with feedback for Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. What great words from House Martell. This episode could have been so much better. I don't dislike this episode because of the Dornish storyline. I dislike it because of the end. But I wish the Dornish storyline would have been better. I wanted to see Ariel Hota fight Sir Ares Oakheart. That's what I wanted to see in the Dornish storyline. Ariel with his awesome axe versus Knight of the Kingsguard. Anyway... We can't have everything. We can't have the 13 seasons of Game of Thrones that uh, Graham said that they could have done. But we got an awesome show. The best show on TV, bar none, not even close, in my humble opinion. Uh, It starts off with very harsh lessons for Arya. They play the game of faces, and Arya gets shown real fast that uh, they play for keeps in the house of black and white and they're not messing around but she finally makes it to that hall of faces that place is creepy jeez louise man that is so creepy so insanely creepy little finger schemes again uh, that's what i titled that note he's man schemer's gonna scheme um and cersei's right there scheming with him to to uh Top-level players play in the game. Man, knowing what we know that Littlefinger has done with Roos and Sansa 
at Winterfell. He, man, he's such a good player, Littlefinger is. He's weaseling his way into controlling the North, no matter what happens, whether Roose wins, whether Stannis wins, or whether Cersei defeats whoever comes out on top between the first two. Littlefinger is, man, he's, he's a slick snake, but I admire the way he plays the game. Um, I thought it was very interesting uh, when Duran Martell is, is talking about Marcella. He calls her a Lannister, not a Baratheon. Oh, Officially, good catch. Joffrey, Tommen, and Marcella are all Robert Baratheon's true-born children. We know the truth, but of course, Ned and the Stannis letter went out, calling them all bastards born of incest, but you would think that Duran Martell would... I don't know, maybe go with the official line here, but maybe not since, well, I don't know. In the books, he's scheming more than he does in the show. But anyway, I'm not going to go into all that. But I thought it was very interesting he called her a Lannister, not a Baratheon. Um, man, in that Holy Inquest scene, Tommen is such a twat. His Kingsguard is right there behind him. They have, they've bared their steel, and they're ready to go to town. Tommen, use your Kingsguard. They're there. Use them. You don't have to be vicious like Joffrey was, but use what you got, brother. Don't be a twat. Um, the wedding scene under the Weirwood tree in Winterfell or just outside Winterfell, if not for being who it was for, the wedding, that was really a beautiful scene. You know, the scenery, the furnishings, the you know, where it was right there under the heart tree in the cold and the snow. It's really a beautiful scene, if not for being so disheartening, especially knowing what's about to happen. It's is really, you know, from a photography or videography standpoint, really, really beautiful. And all I have to say about the end is fuck you, Ramsey. That is all. Goodbye. Thanks for calling in, Zach. Always good to hear from you, brother. And thanks for writing in everybody. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And and ladies. <laughs> Lords and ladies out there. Yes, tavern wenches and salt wives. All right, that's our show. Episode 88. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Also, a huge shout-out to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers, for announcing our podcast. Hope you all have a happy new year. Yeah, have a great new year, guys. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both of those at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd also like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke Low Duke. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. Yes, thank you guys so much. You're awesome. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. Mm-hmm. She has been key behind the scenes working to get GameofMicrophones.com up and running. 
she is also a world-class artist for like real. that's not even a joke yeah <laughs> check out her amazingly illustrated children's book the people you may see it's available now on amazon check her out at fineartsbylisa.com instagram.com slash fineartsbylisa and facebook.com slash fineartsbylisa next episode we'll be covering season five episode seven the gift give it a watch and send us your thoughts we'd love to read them on air if you'd like to call you can call us at 813 joffrey that's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And while you're there, give us a like and a rating. And for some reason, we're still not showing up on the iTunes search results, for at least for the podcasts app on iPhone. So uh, head over to iTunes and give us a nice five-star review to help bump us back up into the search results. We'd appreciate it. And slap! Ugh. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have at least 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also greatly appreciated. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. Any place you can get your podcasts. We always forget to mention that. I added in here. <laughs> yeah. And we're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr too at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Up there, that's the water gardens. Once we get the princess, then what? I like to improvise. That explains the golden hand. When I grow up, I want to be a cock merchant. <laughs> you said Valor Mug. Uh, Mugulis or something. Mugulis. Is it uh, oysters, cockles, and something? Oysters, clams, and cockles. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> she has no idea what's going on. She's like, what? <laughs> well, yeah, what? <laughs> Jockin wakes her up by asking, who are you? Which is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to wake up to that. I'd be like, what? <laughs> to execute that little girl which is not yes. funny so i don't know why i was laughing when i said that <laughs> i don't know if she's really just completely disconnected um if she's as dense as quark gluon plasma you know peace and love tom yeah, brathian so- that's his campaign slogan <laughs> that's awesome oh he's such a dumbass so what's your number three good question my number three is fuckers totally and i'd be like fuck that and uh, the sparrow the high sparrow makes the announcement that the faith is satisfied that there is enough evidence to bring formal to bring a formal trial for sir loris and queen marjorie <gasps> dun 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 <laughs> And this is when he realizes it's only now way too late that he realizes that he's completely surrounded and outnumbered Ramsey let me come with him on that hunt that was creepy hey dude 
So my my headphones, I've had them since the 1900s. Yeah. Literally. The lanterns leading. Yeah, the lanterns. The love that oh, shit. God. I loved it. And everyone looks so pretty with like the snow in their hair. Yeah. <laughs> her nostrils flare. Yeah. <laughs> I got you now. I told you to reek or to, to look, not to reek. <laughs> I told you to, I told reek. You to reek. <laughs> <laughs> You're rather ripe today, reek. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No. And, uh, yeah. A new bastard of Winterfell. Oh, God. Oh, God. Grumpkins and snarks. And grumpkins, yeah. <laughs> it will be a dwarf sized cock. Guess again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, what the fuck's a cock, cock merchant? merchant right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Sure. He's a bit long in the tooth, a bit withered, been in the sun too long. We can all see that. You get it. You get what I'm doing. Yeah, 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 totally. Oh, yeah. And his eyes are darting all around. His little oh, yeah. hands are folded. And yeah, his little his hands. Little, <laughs> his little fingers. His little fingers are all folded, like oh, holding each man. other. Brothers, oh, brothers, my days here are done. The Dornishman's taken my life. But what does it matter? For all men must die. And I've tasted the Dornishman's wife. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm Oberyn's daughter. I fight for Dorn. Who do you fight for? <laughs> and everybody's just like, oh my God, shut up. So yeah, I'm just like, merp. God damn it, Ilaria. Just got to yeah. ruin everything. Smash the Beatles. Smash them. <laughs> smash them. Smash the Beatles. Anti-Scottish propaganda, that's not good, laddie. Propaganda. If it's not Scottish, <laughs> it's crap. If it's not Scottish, it's crap. Doing some online shopping? Go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we learn... <laughs> <laughs> As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution... <laughs> Any contribution you make, any contrib, any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. <laughs>